Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily for another afternoon here in the Peg. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you. And uh, lots to get to today. Very much looking forward to welcoming in the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, our pal DT, Derek Taylor. Talk a little bit about the uh, Bombers' 7-0 and start to the season. A look ahead to the game against the Calgary Stampeders and get DT's thoughts on the rest of the Canadian Football League. And then Jeff Hamilton will join us. And, you know, obviously over the last course of uh, the month or so, the Jets offseason has dominated our conversation. With Jeff, we always dive into a lot of bomber topics as well, as he did such a great job covering the team in the Canadian Football League for the Winnipeg Free Press. I have a feeling, though, today that more of our chat will probably center around the hearings this morning with Scott Smith, the CEO of Hockey Canada, and uh, more on the fallout of um, you know the uh, everything that's happened around the national governing body for Canada sport over the course of um, you know the last couple months. I will touch on that with Michael Remus. I'm sure I can tell you I spent more time watching CPAC this morning than I have in my entire life combined. Um, but it was gripping. It was. Um, it was something that I think was quite necessary, and we've heard so many calls for change within Hockey Canada, and I certainly think that is all but sure to happen in the very near future. So we're going to touch on that with Jeff. I mean, we will get to his thoughts on what we heard and didn't hear from Pierre-Luc Dubois on Monday, as well as maybe a little bit more bomber talk. And then a little later on, Jeff Feinberg's going to jump on. Um, always love having Jeff on. NFL training camps are in full effect now. All 32 teams are there. Um, but we'll also talk a little golf. More developments with the Live Tour, who's going to be out at uh, Trump's course in Bedminster starting on tomorrow um, and for all that talk about uh, playing less golf and less travel, not sure that that's going to be the case for the live golfers if they want to attempt to play in majors going forward if they're not already exempt. So we certainly do have a packed show. Welcome to everyone watching on YouTube, and thanks to everyone listening on the podcast. Podcast listeners, if you do ever have the opportunity to get to Apple or Spotify or wherever you get the podcast and give us a five-star rating and a little review, always helps us spread the channel. And for you YouTubers, if you haven't already, it's completely free. Hit that red subscribe button. Join us daily at 1 p.m. Central or whenever it's convenient for you to catch today's show. Uh, a big shout out and thank you to the sponsors that make this program happen each and every day, led by Princess Auto and Cool Bet Canada. Wallace and Wallace, Vita Health, F Apparel, Aikens Lake, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Nick and Nikki DQ, Boston Pizza, Canadian Club, and of course our friends at Assiniboia Downs, who are back with some live racing tonight at 7:30 p.m. out on the west side. Let's get Michael Remus in here and welcome Remo into the program. Remo, what's going on? How are you today? Us, we've gone away. We're a couple days removed from the Dubois, what was it, press Zoom call the other day, and I've, I kind of feel like more than ever now we're getting into the dog days of summer, although that could change at any time with a trade or Nazem Kadri signing. We're kind of just twiddling our thumbs here, waiting for some hockey stuff. We did have that Tave story by Mark Lazarus in The Athletic. I see people mentioning him in chat right now, but yeah, do dog days of, of summer, the long weekend's coming up, so thankfully... 
Uh, we got the bom- big bomber game on Saturday, so I'm I'm doing all right here, heading into the you know for the Wednesday. Mid-week. Yeah, uh, and listen, we're going to talk to uh, about what has and what hasn't happened right now in the NHL offseason. Some of the big stories coming out yesterday, an interesting story from Mark Lazarus coming out of Chicago and Winnipeg's Jonathan Taves and his future with the Blackhawks, um, as well as an unfortunate story involving Bobby Ryan. Uh, but let's face it, the biggest story in hockey, in sports, and I'd suggest in news in our country today has been the continued hearings on Hockey Canada and uh, the CEO, Scott Smith, today taking the stand for a number of hours and fielding questions along with the heads of the QMJHL, the OHL, the Western Hockey League, the Canadian Hockey League. Uh, but most of this was centered in on Hockey Canada, Reem. And all I can say is that it has been eminently clear that significant change is needed at all levels of the sport. Um, And I think that's been obvious for a long time. And I think, you know, certainly outwardly, not having kids that participate in the game, um, you know, we've heard safe sport programs, and we've heard all the right things from a lot of people. But what we're hearing publicly and have in the past doesn't entirely compute with the actions of the organization over a number of years. And um, today it was uh, it was pretty wild to see Scott Smith repeatedly question. Um, and, you know, to his credit, he stood there. I mean, he's in a very unenviable position. I'll say this as someone that worked for Scott um, with the women's program and putting on the World Women's Hockey Championship here, something I'm incredibly proud of. Um, he was uh, an amazing boss from a business side of things, from the operations of what we were doing, which was his job at the time. Um, he was great. Um, he supported us. He supported everybody involved in the tournament and was a big part in allowing us to do what we needed to do to make it the most successful women's hockey event ever at that moment. Um, but at the time, Bob Nicholson was the president who then passed that on to Tom Rennie. Uh, who was just in the process of retiring when all of this broke. And Tom Rennie was there, seemingly very unprepared, to be perfectly honest, in June when he and Scott Smith went up and answered questions on this the first time. And regardless if you're feeling your feelings about Scott personally and uh, and what he's done, and I mean, there hasn't really been any information on his particular enrollment, but uh, it It certainly seems like it's unanimous, regardless of what political party you support, um, who your representative is in the House of Commons. Uh, It seems like there needs to be a full house cleaning Um, and no one more um, probably entitled to that opinion than Sheldon Kennedy, who called upon Hockey Canada and Scott Smith to step down yesterday. Um, He said today that that was not the plan. If after the full investigation went through, there's not the confidence in going forward, he would do that. Um, But I will tell you, it was somewhat extraordinary seeing, um, you know, all of the parties come together um, and talk about the things that, you know, have really put a real stain on Hockey Canada, who up until recently was probably one of the most, um, certainly when it came to corporate entities, I guess I shouldn't maybe even call it a corporate, although they operate that way in Canada. Um, it's done a complete 180 right now. And, um, you know, the future of how this game is managed and put forth in the country, I think, is um, on the verge of a tidal wave of sea change that will come out of what's happened today in Ottawa. Yeah, we've already seen the last couple of months sponsors drop out. Um, 
you know, said Sheldon Kennedy putting out the statement and they talked about, you know, Scott Smith said that, you know, him and Sheldon Kennedy are, are friends. And then he had the women's team, you know, come out with the letter yesterday or sorry, two days ago. Yeah. Um, it just seemed like it was unanimous by, you know, the members of parliament there um, on the stream that I was, that we were watching that everyone th- seems to think that there's change needed in hockey Canada. Scott Smith says he's not going to resign. And other states, they're saying they don't really have credibility. How can we trust hockey Canada to change when a lot of this stuff has seemingly been going on for a long time? And, and just the, the structure, how they were referencing, you know, um, Scott Smith or Bob Nicholson, whoever was in charge was kind of leading the board when they should be more answering to the board. And, you know, and I think, you know, uh, structure change is something that would probably be needed if you want to move forward. Uh, I, I couldn't help but think, I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs have hired Haley Wickenheiser. Haley Wickenheiser is the greatest, um, you know, among, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say unequivocally. I think for a long time she was recognized as the greatest Canadian women's hockey player of all t- time. I'm sure Marie-Philippe Poulain is now in the conversation considering the heroics she's done for our country, um, you know, over the last 10 years or so. Haley Wickenheiser has been hired in a hockey operations job for the, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, but I can't help but think someone like Haley Wickenheiser and a greater female representation on the board and amongst senior leadership of Hockey Canada, which I don't believe they've really had in the past, is something that would certainly have to happen. And the bottom line is almost starting anew with people with a clear and obvious mandate to not only run the game and support the game at each and every level, but instill the changes and the safeguards to prevent these sort of things from happening ever again. Um, And again, I'm not probably the best person or the one to sit here and talk about what is systemic. I mean, what even is the definition of that? All I can tell you is that it's very clear that a lot of the toxicity that exists in a lot of areas in society today and has for a number of years is as bad as maybe anywhere in that sport. And we're seeing evidence of that from the 2018 incident and obviously these horrible reports of what apparently Hockey Canada learned about only from Rick Westhead's report a week or so ago about what happened in 2003. Um, You know, we'll see what that means for the players and the people that were involved in both of those incidents going forward. I think in today's day and age, it is unreasonable or unrealistic to think that names will not come out and there won't be consequences, whether legal or not. Um, But the important thing right now, and what I hope that comes out of this, is a clear direction with in all likelihood new leadership that can take our game in the exact opposite direction from a pretty dark underbelly of the history at the same time when we had some of our greatest victories as a country on the ice uh, with some of the darkest days off of the ice. And I'll put this out to the chat right now um, because it's easy for me to sit here and say this as, you know, as an observer. And as I said, I've had experience within working in hockey, obviously, and working with the program on the women's side. But, I mean, for those of you that have kids, and if you're on the listening on the podcast, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Sports Talk WPG, or feel free to send us an email at WinnipegSportsTalk at gmail.com. And everybody with us on YouTube, 
please throw in your comments there. But I wonder if what you've learned about what's happened in hockey, especially if you have young kids, if that's changed at all your thought on, you know, whether that's something that you want them to participate in, that you want them to aspire to be, aspire to do. I mean, for so many years in Canada, that was sort of the thing that, you know, you got up, you're five or six years old, you start playing Timbits hockey, and then, you know, you keep on going. And I've often thought that, Remo, there's been a reckoning coming for the game in Canada for a few reasons. I've said that there's been a reckoning coming for professional sports for a long time because of the way that the fans have essentially been bent over and squeezed at every single level. And I think the greed of the game, both from teams, players, owners, all of that, has hit somewhat of a breaking point. And I think over the course of the pandemic, we're sort of seeing that right now where people are deciding to spend their money differently. And a lot of fans just have simply been priced out. That's one side of it on a fan level. But from a perspective of participation, um, the head injuries, I mean, all that's been a big story for a number of years. And I think that's driven a number of parents maybe to get their kids into other things like basketball or soccer, tennis, golf. There's the cost of it involved. But I do wonder with this particular, these particular incidents and some of the toxicity that is associated with the quote-unquote hockey culture, if that has changed any people's opinions or maybe plans with their children as to what they're going to get involved. I'm not sure whether this is something you've ever even thought of, Remo, because your little guy's so young. I mean, those are still, uh, those are still, a few those decisions, I guess, are still a few years away. And you watch games and you know read books with them and stuff like that. But I'd be surprised if this doesn't have a significant effect on uh, maybe some people's decision making on whether they even want to be involved in a sport that has been synonymous with our country and, frankly, has been something that should, in theory, bring Canadians of all walks of life together, both as participants and as fans. Yeah, I mean, I. I played hockey growing up, um, organized. I still play play men's league, but I played, you know, throughout high school as well. And I, I loved playing hockey. Um, you know, I made a lot of friends, had a lot of great memories from it. So, as far as having my son play, I think I would. I think the biggest, I think the biggest thing that's most prohibitive right now is the cost and the time involved. So I haven't gone down that road, but I do think you know you hear a lot of the stuff coming out of Hockey Canada over the last, you know, couple weeks here, and especially the one last week, I mean, it's like a gut punch hearing how, and it's seem hearing how, what, the leadership kind of just swept this under the rug and thought it would go away. It, it reminds me a lot of, um, I don't know if people watch the TV so, show Succession, how they're, they're a corporate company that covers up all, you know, the, all these allegations, so... But it's not just some corporate entity. It's, you know, the Hockey Canada that everyone has cheered for. You've worn the jersey. You know, you've spent time invested into the watching the World Juniors and, you know, hearing what went on behind the scenes and what wasn't done about, you know, certain things. Again, extremely disappointing. And uh, the members of parliament gave Hockey Canada quite a, a verbal, what, ver verbal tongue lashing uh, today, and rightfully so. Well, he did. James Robinson asked, where are the parents in all this? Why is this all on hockey? Well, think about this, James. I mean, in these particular instances, we're talking about the World Junior Hockey Championships. We're talking about the best junior hockey players who, by definition of the way the sport is 
put together in our country often aren't living with their parents, aren't even staying at their homes. They're off in the Western Hockey League. They're playing in towns in Ontario or in Quebec, and they're with billets, and they're around their teams all the time, and they are um, gods in their community. And frankly, uh, I, I think that this goes to their the lack of responsibility um, or the impunity of players when they get to a certain level has been an issue on those smaller levels. And then you take the best of the best of those groups, you put them on a team representing Canada, and we've heard these sort of things that have happened. And the fact that they haven't been dealt the way any rational human being would expect it to be, um, you know, with police, with sanctions, um, you know, essentially been swept under the rug. And the fact that, I mean, this where this all started with a massive payout um, to somebody for an event before allegedly Hockey Canada even knew who the eight players were um, is really incredible. So we'll talk about this a little bit more with Jeff Hamilton. I figured that it was important to start off with that. I'm sure many of you like us were watching this this morning and we can only hope that this leads to a much brighter future for everybody, male, female, boy, girl, regardless of race, creed or color to participate in the sport, to feel safe, playing in the sport, but also to feel safe and proud of being a fan of our Canadian teams um, in the future. And as I said, I, I've been expecting this World Juniors that's happening in August to be a very strange event, to have a bit of a black cloud over it. I don't think that's changing at all. The fact that it is hosted by Hockey Canada, who has been basically the cash cow of the double IHF when it comes to this event. There'll be many questions about it. And the questions for guys that were with this almost the architects of the program um, for so many years, like Bob Nicholson, who's now with the Oilers Entertainment Group and has been silent throughout all of this. I'm sure at some point there'll be somewhat of a reckoning uh, for those players as well. We'll get to a little bit more on this with, unless you have something more to I, say I on it. I just want to add one more thing. I, and I see people in chat saying this. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a strictly hockey. I mean, there's a hockey issue here, but there's also a greater societal issue with reporting I mean, in sport, just last week, the government, um, you know, took away funding for Gymnastics Canada, who's had issues of, you know, sexual assault and abuse. And, I mean, we saw that in gymnastics with the USA a yeah. couple of years ago. So um, I think it's just a, a, a great problem, that, you know, being focused on and, and hockey, but I think we can all be better in, in many areas for sure. And hockey well, can. I mean, the, yeah. the information coming forward is important. I think if you're a parent with uh, a, a young athlete, especially an elite athlete in any sport, yes. they're spending tons of times away from the family with people. I mean, it's incredibly important to be involved in their lives, to vet the people that you're involved. And obviously, as many people in the chat have mentioned, I mean, you have to be speaking with these kids and, and put them in a situation where they have the confidence to speak up when something like this happens to avoid um, it being covered under the rug or even worse, to be thought as normal behavior and acceptable behavior. And that, I think, is a real key thing in all of this. Um, you know, these parents of these young men that were have been involved in these incidents. I mean, they didn't raise them to be that way. How did they come to feel that this was acceptable? Where did that come from? I think we know where that was and that needs to be changed immediately. And it will be a big focus going forward. We'll get to Hamilton's thoughts on that as well as more on the Jets off season. But listen, before we get to DT Remo, um, there were some interesting NFL off, uh, NHL off season notes 
Um, none of none of them involve anybody playing. Kadri, still no deal. Klingberg, still no deal. Other names out there, P.K. Subban, Phil Kessel, Bergeron, Anton Strahlman, Paul Stasny. And then the guys that we've talked about that I think would be most enticing to the Winnipeg Jets, Sonny Milano, Evan Rodriguez, Danton Heinen. Um, it seems like things are at a standstill right now. And I heard John Shannon speaking yesterday uh, on Sakaris and Price. And he had said he believes that, you know, some of these players just completely overvalued their worth. Ah, so I think you could probably give them the benefit of the doubt that they've earned the contracts, Kadri and Klingberg in particular, with what they've done. But like we said yesterday, this is a, an example of the aftermath of the big money going out the door immediately to the biggest names on the board and the reality of the flat cap squeezing the middle class the lower class, which has essentially been squeezed down to near league minimum, and now even players near the top of the food chain like King, Klingberg and Kadri, who teams would love to get in their lineup, just simply don't have anywhere close to the asking price. And, you know, at some point, somebody's going to give, and it may be a shorter deal or a less money for a couple guys that went into, went into free agency thinking that this was the one time in their entire career they'd be breaking the bank. Yeah, and if you look at Cap Friendly right now, I can bring it up here. There are 10 teams, Huss, that are over the cap. So immediately, they are not, they can't sign anyone right now. And then there's maybe another 10 teams that are like within 5 million of the cap. So can you couldn't even afford Nazem Kadri or John Klingberg. And then among the teams uh, who've got, you know, more than 5 million, there's, about 10 here or so that have over over eight cap space, how many of them aren't even trying to win? Uh, the Coyotes, the Blackhawks, um, who, who else is in there? Uh, those, two for, those two for sure. So, I mean, you look at some teams that have space, like who's going to make a signing here? Uh, Calgary's got $9.3 million to play with. Are they looking to sign? Does Kadri go with a one-year deal with maybe Calgary and then try to do it all again? Would, would Calgary even, even do that, knowing about their other UFAs? Um, so, I mean, I don't even know know who would sign these guys. Is Dallas, they got cap space. Would they want to bring Klingberg back? But they have all these other defense. Well, apparently but, his yeah. ask to Dallas yeah. was, and this is according to John Shannon, um, what he was hearing from an NHL source was so, was so massive that the Stars basically said, you know what? Thank you for your service. We can't even consider this. There's not even any point in us starting to negotiate from this level. Go at it. And, you know, unfortunately for Klingberg, especially we thought that Carolina might be a spot that he ended. The minute they made that trade for Brent Burns, that uh, that uh, opportunity pretty much fizzled out. Um, and he's a guy with a great resume, great talent, great numbers, without a team right now. And, well, I'll be interested to see where he fin- he uh, a- ends up. One other story, and this is uh, from that story from Mark Lazarus with The Athletic, uh, but Jonathan Taves um, told him that, you know, certainly he's feeling very good um, after everything he's been in the last couple of years, but Jonathan Taves is reading the room right now, and he said Kyle Davidson's been pretty open with he and Patrick Kane, saying this could take, you know, four to five years to completely turn around. I mean, they've essentially gone scorched earth on their roster. And if you're Jonathan Taves right now with the incredible career that he's had, I'm sure assuming that he'd be a Chicago Blackhawk for life, 
a five-year rebuild at this stage in the game for Taves isn't really for him. Now, with the contract that he has, we've talked about how difficult it is move to move money right now. Um, you know, a trade will probably be quite difficult. But you do wonder how that looks and if those guys have to just hold their nose and play with a borderline glorified AHL team for the better part of the season and then a hope to get moved at the deadline. I think there's maybe a better chance that some magic can happen with Patrick Kane because I think he's still that good that teams would do whatever they could cap-wise to, to, to make things happen. But you do wonder if this is going to be a sad end to an incredible career for Jonathan Taves playing on one of the worst teams in the league, rounding out that contract that he earned back when they were a dynasty, borderline dynasty team winning those three Stanley Cups. Well, they won three cups. I'll put them down. I'll put them down for Blackhawks. Dynasty and Taves, I mean, what, 30, sorry, 37 points last year, 71 games. Not exactly the, uh, what did he have, 76 in 2010-11 when they were winning cups, uh, 81 in 2018-19. Only a couple years ago, he's battled uh, injuries and illness. You know, if he's healthy this year, maybe he can contribute. And, like, could they both get traded at the deadline, Patrick Kane's been one of the top players in the league. You'd think someone would want him. I would agree with you. The, the biggest thing holding back is how do you fit these guys under the cap? They're making $10.5 million. You'd probably be better off acquiring them halfway through the year. You have some more uh, have some more cap space. So it's completely sad what's happened to the Blackhawks. Gone from model franchise. Uh, I mean, model franchise, winning cups. You had the Kyle Beach situation last year which was completely self-inflicted and extremely sad and horrible and we went th- went through that and then now you have the team they've gutted everyone traded to Brinkat, who you think would be a young player you want to build around um for futures openly trying to just tank for bedard um what ed olchick's moved on uh, yeah they, when they, eddie o when eddie o says yeah. i'm out on chicago his hometown a place yeah. that he loves, he, that supported him so well through his health battles. When he says he's out and going to the expansion, Seattle Kraken, yeah, uh, you know it's not and, a uh, not a very fun place. And yeah, Pat Foley's moved on as well, brand new broadcast. So um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how you could be a fan of them in the short term, and maybe you just hop on the bandwagon and what, what, when this hopefully works out. I mean, it's not guaranteed a tank job. Work it has worked for other teams in the past. That's kind of how they got. Well, you know what's going to work? Being terrible this year. That I can guarantee you will work. They are going to suck. Now, whether that helps them in the draft or whether that helps them in the long term, that will remain to be seen. But the goal this year to strip this thing down is uh, is working. And I've already seen a couple people saying, "Hey, you know, with the talk about the potential Wheeler trade, you know, might there be a possibility?" to do some sort of a deal with the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, I think if you're the Winnipeg Jets, first of all, I'm not even sure. I know Jonathan Taves is from Winnipeg, but, I mean, he's got a full no move. I'm not sure whether he would ever consider accepting a trade here. But let's say he did. Um, Does Blake Wheeler want to go to Chicago right now? Probably not. And then there's the question, like, would the Jets eat an extra couple million dollars this year in Taves to get rid of the final year of Wheeler? Probably What's the benefit, though, for the Chicago Blackhawks? I mean, to bring in Blake, to have that extra year of contract, although maybe they're going to need to get to the cap the cap ceiling. So maybe there is something there. Bottom line is, I don't think that there's um, enough attractiveness to get that done from a Blackhawks side of things. 
and you do wonder whether that would even work in Winnipeg. Um, but the one thing from a Jets perspective, when you're looking at the cap, just in that theoretical deal, you would have Taves off the books next season, maybe a little bit forward to using that valuable cap space on some younger and more productive players. Um, we'll touch on that with Hammer coming up in a little bit. We're going to start off with some bomber talk, though. Derek Taylor coming up in just a second. But uh, hey, before that, I want to thank our guys down at F Apparel. Looking forward to that new suit coming in. And uh, I'm going to pop back in for a few accessories, maybe a couple shirts. They've got a great shirt sale right now. Custom shirts, three for 210 bucks. The bottom line is now we're getting out of the summer. We're getting out of this pandemic, hopefully. Um, and we'll have gatherings. You're going to be going to meetings again. You might actually be seeing people in person in a business uh, a business environment. And that means looking good. And nowhere is going to make you look better than uh, F Apparel for the best price in town. Custom suits starting at $400. Check out everything they've got on the website at F Apparel. That's ephapparel.com. Or pop down and see Andrew and the gang at 190 Smith Street. Um, Vita Health ready to help you have the best summer ever with great places on Winnipeg's best selection of natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. And uh, with barbecue season here, we've got awesome, delicious lean bison steaks or chicken for some healthy options on the grill, not to mention hot dogs, burgers, non-alcoholic drink options like sober carpenter beer, clever mocktails, everything you need on a great summer day. And hey, if you're on the run too, pop by any of the seven locations for the delicious grab-and-go Vitamarket Deli, including salads, soups, sandwiches, and make sure to try that falafel salad. As I mentioned, seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store on Linden Ridge, empowering people to lead healthy lives. It's Vita Health Fresh Market, and check them out online at their fully shoppable website at myvita.ca. Uh... The gang at Wallace and Wallace has been taking care of us roads, uh, sorry, fences and overhead doors for years. And they've also got you covered for the boathouse. We're going to be out on the, uh, on the water at Aikens Lake. But uh, if you're on the lake this weekend and checking a boathouse door that catches your eye, chances are it may very well be from our friends at Wallace and Wallace. They've got everything you need, steel or aluminum doors, polycarbonate or glass panels, and a design that's perfect for your little piece of paradise. And if you think you might need some TLC or your boathouse door might need some TLC, now the high water is receded, give them a call to arrange a service visit at 204-452-2700. You can also hit them up at wallacedoors.com or check out their showroom on Lawson Road. And yes, I did mention Aikens Lake going to be out there Jeez, in just about a week now. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. Just saw a new Century Club member and another master angler walleye coming out of the lake. Hopefully, I'll be coming back with some pictures about that, but I can tell you, follow them on social on social media at Aikens Lake and check them out online at akinslake.com for availability on next year for a once-in-a-lifetime family and friends trip or maybe that long-awaited corporate outing that you haven't been able to do since 2019. All right, let's get... So some bomber talk, the voice of the bombers, Derek Taylor joins us now on Winnipeg Sports Talk. The undefeated voice of the bombers, Derek Taylor joins us. DT, what's up? How are you? I just keep winning football games. You know, it's it's the call of, oh, my Dalton show, touchdown. That really drives them to victory. So uh, I'd like to thank the other guys for helping out a little bit. But come on, it's it's this guy right here. Um. 
How much fun are you having doing this? I mean, you know, you're kind of almost half a season in, get settled. You and your wife got a spot now. Everyone's together. I mean, uh, how good has this year been for you personally before we talk about obviously all the wins on the field? Well, it's been it's been really good. Um, yeah, just getting back into Manitoba and, and getting back into the Winnipeg area and seeing all the folks that you remember from the first time around. Uh, you know, doing some work at the house is obviously quite stressful because that's how, you know, anybody who's moved knows exactly what I'm talking about. I, but, I mean, this was me going back into a, a workplace and with people that I worked with before, right? And then football's football. So it's everything everything around the job, everything in the job has been terrific. And then, oh, by the way, the Bombers keep winning in very interesting fashion, which gives us no end of stuff to talk about. Well, you mentioned Dal- Dalton Schoen. What a game he had. And, um, I mean, what a win for the Bombers, although it, it was one of the stranger <laughs> victories i think we've seen during this incredible run over the last few years dt uh they lose the turnover battle they never do that completely dominated in time of possession and zach caleros completes seven passes that's not usually the recipe for a win certainly not mike o'shea's recipe for winning um (laughs) how'd they get it done and what did you make of that game where they still covered comfortably and won by double digits yeah, for, for people who don't remember, uh, Mill Stiegel put out afterward, when's the last time a team won a game with seven passes? And I, it was in my mind, and I dug it up, and it was 2019, week 11, when Winnipeg beat Edmonton with the Strevolution, Chris Strebler at quarterback. And you think, well, that win made sense, right? Seven completions, but they absolutely thundered on the ground because that's the kind of guy Strebler was. I presume uh, Andrew Harris went nuts in that game, too. You know, well, that made sense. This one didn't have that same running component. And like you said, two to one, like almost two to one uh, time of possession, two live ball turnovers for the Bombers versus one for the Elks. It just, it, it made no sense at all. But the one thing, the one constant in the season is teams don't get inside the Bombers' red zone. Into the Elks game, they'd run 21 plays opposing teams inside the Winnipeg 20. One was a pass interference call. Edmonton got to the 20, had, I think, first and 10 on the Bombers 20, but didn't advance any further than that in the entire game. Three field goals, a single. So as much as the, you know, the offense was spotty at best, and, and Brady did some nice things in the run game, but the offense was spotty at best. There's the defense just holding down the fort. Uh, yeah, that's far enough, guys. The bouncer at the club, right? That's far <laughs> enough, guys. This velvet rope across the 20. You're not coming in here. You know, and the Edmonton offense, I mean, to their credit, and I think Chris Jones and, uh, you know, their OC deserve uh, deserve some credit for it. I mean, they identified the fact that they were able to get six, seven, eight yards on first down with some short passing. And then they would simply run it or even sneak it twice. And that was a big part of the reason why they controlled the time of possession the way they did. But there is something about, and I know they don't like the term bend but don't break, and that's been used to describe the bomber defense for a long time. I'm not sure there's ever been a better example of that than this game against Edmonton and that they did give up some yards. They continually got it down, but they never even seemed to be in a threat of giving up a major. Yeah, they, they really didn't. It's, it was just incredible to watch like this Edmonton team and, and Cornelius was, was fine in the game. His work in the sneak game, like you mentioned was tremendous. He was fine, but he's generally got some accuracy problems that keep them from really functioning well as an offense. But yeah, whether it's a defender closes down or, you know, brain fart in the play call or Willie Jefferson, 
Man, I scrolled through. I was charted up two games last night, and Willie Jefferson is just – he is a marvel this season. He was incredible in 19. 21 wasn't 2019, but he was still defensive player of the year worthy uh, to that level. But this season, he's just clowning tackles when he needs to. Oh, I'm double teamed. I'm just going to drop off, and th- that one's mine. So best of luck trying to get these balls around me. Uh, in the run game, too, Willie's just – Thank goodness. Every every bomber coach goes to bed, puts their head on the pillow, and thanks goodness that Willie Jefferson is wearing number five for them and not for anybody else because well, that guy well, is just wrecking it this year. Well, and, and I mean, I think his performance against Edmonton was even more impressive because, I mean, a big part of the success that that line has had is that, you know, go ahead, worry about Willie. you got Jackson Jeffcoat on the other side, and that's not disrespect Thomas and the guys in the middle. But without Jeffcoat... Willie stepped his game up even more. And I mean, this stat, I saw one of the TSN guys that cranked it out. The first player in CFL history to get over 50 quarterback sacks and 50 QB like batted balls. And I mean, those knockdowns have attributed not only to second and longs, but a number of picks as well. I mean, he's doing it in so many different ways, DT. Yeah, John Proberg dropped dropped that 50-50 stat, right? And I've heard I've heard the pass knockdowns described in different ways. I've had guys who are pass rushers in the league tell me, can't get to the quarterback, what's the big deal? And I've had people say, well, they're just as good as a sack. And I, I'm not on either side of that. Like, it's, it's, it's good at stopping a guy for zero yards, right? Because they don't move the ball. And if you're in second and 10 in the Canadian Football League, apart from Edmonton in this game, you're in a lot of trouble, right? So Willie does this stuff that's of incredible value. Like, Stopping a guy at the line of scrimmage or an entire team at the line of scrimmage is just so valuable when you only get really two downs to play with, right? Because most teams don't use th- three downs. So it's it's fantastic to watch him go. And he's got that long Euro step move. There was one in the BC game. He gave it to Joel Figueroa on a critical play. And then in this game, uh, Coach O'Shea, we talked to him in the postgame show, and he kind of sloughed it off saying, well, that's how it should be all the time. But in the final drive, Edmonton's trying to do something, down two scores. Will he still go in full steam ahead? And uh, it was just, it just caught me off guard. I thought, you know, you're, you're up two scores. You can kind of lay off a little bit. But he was still going at it. And I thought, that is, honestly, I was just, I've been super impressed with just about everything about Willie because there's the demands on his time outside of work as well. But come game day, he is ready to just crush. Well, DT, we certainly uh, have no reason to doubt anything about the Winnipeg Blue Bomber defense, especially when uh, hopefully Jackson Jeffcoat returns to the lineup. Um, offense overall, I mean, I think Zach Caleros has had a phenomenal season so far, um, despite the very pedestrian numbers with the seven completions last week. Where's the running game now, in your opinion? Um you know, there's been, I think back to the BC game and the way they rushed the ball in the first quarter and how that set the tone for the game. And I think really opened things up for Zach Caleras, but there certainly hasn't been the consistency in the run game. And they certainly haven't had the big plays that maybe we remember having went on a more consistent basis with Andrew Harris. Um, where are things at right now? And where do you see it going? And how important is it to improve the running game for the Bombers to get to their ultimate goal? Uh, last question first. It's uh, any way you can gain more yards. I, I think is great. You know me. I'm more of the pass game than, than the run game. Uh, I'll throw you this stat. And I want your I want your honest reaction to this stat. Uh, we threw this out before the game against Edmonton, and it's probably quite comparable right now. This season, uh, let's start with last season. Bomber running backs were hit behind the line of scrimmage 13 percent of the time they carried the football. 
It was a little under 13 for Andrew Harris, a little bit so for Brady Oliveira as well. And Johnny Augustine was a, was a fraction higher. So 13% of the time hit behind the line of scrimmage when they were carrying the football. This season into the Edmonton game, running backs were hit behind the line of scrimmage 31% of the time. What do you what do you take away from that? Well, uh, <laughs> there's a little a too lot. much business happening behind the line of scrimmage right now. And that's a lot. And and uh, the first time I brought that stat up to Doug Brown, Doug talked about multiple factors that go into that. There's the blocking. There's receivers involved in blocking. There's play calling. There's hesitation getting to the hole. And that's a, all that's absolutely true. There's multiple factors into it. But if you're getting hit behind the line of scrimmage 30% of the time, the average should be about 18. Like, you're not going to be able to be successful. So there are a lot of fans that want to say, uh, let's throw Brady out and let's bring in Johnny Augustine. Well, Johnny's getting hit behind the line of scrimmage, too. It's They're different They're different dudes, right? They're, they're power running back, and they're more of a speed, lightning, fast running back. Not the old Mike Sellers, Charles Roberts, but on those spectrums, right? They're, they're out in those ways. I, I They need to figure out, just how to get guys into that second level with with or at least to the first level untouched right because getting pounded in the backfield three yards behind this line of scrimmage Andrew Harrison the day would take those three yard losses and maybe turn them into a one yard gain or you know in a, in a perfect world a three yard gain you just can't be successful in that in the long run and it's not it's not I just want people to know it's not just the running backs because every running back in the league you saw it in the game against Calgary that the the Bombers had Kadeem Carey has these massive holes and he exploits them for 15 yards, 30 yards, whatever it is, got to have that massive hole. The massive hole is the thing that does the, does the deal in uh, the Canadian Football League. Well, there's no doubt about it, and I think the offensive line has been challenged with some injuries. And, hey, let's face it, I mean, they set almost an impossibly high standard over the last few years, uh, and Andrew Harris was a big part of that as well. I mean, few yep. players maybe ever have done more with making something out of nothing that Andrew Harris has done. Just, hey, while we mention Harris, I mean, how about hitting 10K? I mean, one of the most historic careers in the history of the game. Uh, it's still hard to picture him in double blue as opposed to blue and gold, but um, this is a guy that is a surefire Hall of Famer and uh, a massive, massive milestone for the Winnipeg native last week. Well, and, and it's great to see... It's great to see the bounce back that has been this season versus last season because last season was tough and Bomber fans wanted more. You're, I'm, I've never talked to Andrew about it, but I'm sure he wanted more from from last season from himself. And, you know, he's at the age where we start to question and the questions kind of get answered when you get, I think, 33 touches in a game. Oh, my gosh. Just he's playing until 40 now. If you can give him 33 touches at the age of 35, my goodness. Yeah, I, I you know, I think that I mean, going forward, certainly from the offensive line perspective, and I think, you know what, they'll look to improve, and we're going to be talking to Pat Newfeld in the program tomorrow, and he's always a straight shooter, and I mean, a great guy to talk to about the intricities of the game as well. Um, you know, Zach Kolaris has been on the run at times this year, but also establishing that run game like they did in the first quarter against the BC Lions, I think really will set up and allow Buck Pierce the options that he'll have to to really take advantage of it. There have been some real bright spots on offense, though. Greg Ellingson so far this year has been phenomenal, though missed last game. And, uh, man, Dalton shown. I mean, what a revelation this kid is. I, I was just watching them do some drills yesterday. They're just doing individual drills. They put on the pads for a spell, and they're just doing some drills. And it was just basically 15 yards cut, you're doing an out. 15 yards cut, you're doing an in. And, and just how... 
I don't. I, I I'm not the best for for breaking down receivers and their skill set. I I didn't play football at a high level, but just watching each guy and how he's different from Dalton Schoen to Janarian Grant to Rashid Bailey to Wallatarski. Uh, Dalton is so very quick, chop, 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 and very smoothly into his route versus what some of the other guys look like. You go, oh, three, three steps to stop instead of five. Okay, and you're really quick. Oh, and you really burst out of there. There's just there's so many great things he does. And then this past week it was, oh, in the scramble game. Okay, well, I'm gonna find the spot and Zach's gonna hit me for 81 yards. I'm gonna leave Deron Carter in the dust and touchdown. Like he. Is he the rookie of the year in the West? I haven't compiled all the West so far, but I mean, it's it's tough to argue with him being the rookie of the year through almost half. Well, I guess we're at the one third season mark, but he's been a revelation. A guy who was with the second team in training camp, took advantage of an injury to another receiver in camp to move to the first team and then stuck there and not going anywhere, not going anywhere anytime soon. I think Bomber fans are deliriously happy that that he's been able to stay healthy despite all these injuries ravaging this receiving core. Well, and speaking of injuries, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, most of the guys weren't practicing yesterday and uh, today's practice is closed, but um, you're one of the closest people to the team and around them on a daily basis. Are you getting any sense that um, Ellingson, uh, Ellingson's status and, of course, Jeff Coat on the other side for uh, for the game on the weekend against the Stamps? Uh, no particular feel. They're both, they're both, uh, didn't practice yesterday as the injury report shows us. So both dealing with their respective hip injuries. Um, I mean, everybody looks like they're in good spirits is the one thing I could tell you, uh, which, which isn't honest, honestly much, but everybody, everybody's seven and oh, and in, and in real good spirits, they need Ellingston back, right. To have lost Agadosi long-term with an ankle injury in this game. Carlton was the, was the hope after the Calgary game of, Oh my goodness, two touchdowns and climbing the ladder and look out, other dudes, he's coming for your job. Now he's gone long-term. Ellingson has been out. Dembski is still at least a couple games away from returning, you know, if he runs his full course on the six-game injured list. Brandon O'Leary Orange on the six-game injured list. They're, they're running out of options. Kelvin McKnight is back. It's great to be able to go to market and get a guy who knows your system and was with you for an entire season. But every every injury, right, is a little bit stepped down in talent and and whatever reasons the coaches had for keeping guys around in the first place. They they need Ellingson back. So ultimately, Huss, I think my hope is that last week was just kind of a one of those early season weeks off to to get healthy. Hey, it's it, this this is how I would approach it, and this is why no one hires me. It's only Edmonton. Let's give them the week off and have them ready for Calgary. Fingers crossed. That's what it. What it on is. That's what it was, and that he's back to rip it up on Saturday. So bomber stamps going in on a Saturday will be the marquee game of the week, DT. But um, some other interesting ones. Oh, what do you make of the East right now? Like I thought the East would be far more competitive this year, and I thought the East as a division would be competitive with the number of teams close. I guess they're all close, but. It's because mm. no one can beat the West. I mean, um, who's the best team in the East right now? And who's in the most trouble outside of the obvious? Actually, I believe you picked Ottawa to win. They're 0-6 right now. Yeah. You'd have to think that they're going to turn things around sometime point soon. But uh, what do you make of that yeah. division? I, Toronto is leading, but Toronto should have lost to Montreal, right? Um, but then Toronto should have tied Winnipeg on a Boris Bidet convert and sent that game to overtime. So I don't... Toronto's probably the best team there is. I just, 
I haven't I haven't believed in, in Montreal. Uh, I like them more with Trevor Harris as far as winning games in the regular season, but it does limit their ceiling. Uh, Hamilton, more injury problems today with Chris Van Zyl going on a six-game injury list. So uh, I've had chances to, you know, hedge my Ottawa bet by taking Hamilton to uh, go to the Grey Cup, but I just I just feel like I'd be throwing money down the toilet even at like plus 4,000. There's just no point uh, in that one. I... I still have a slight naive belief in Ottawa, but they have to go to Nick Arbuckle at this point. Arbuckle is the only thing that can get them to Jeremiah Masoli's potential return. We've seen Caleb Evans uh, do enough, but like I've seen enough of Caleb Evans to go, still the problems with putting the ball in harm's way and still this particular struggle and the accuracy and the run game's great and he can really move around, but the passing thing has not gone particularly well for Caleb Evans in a year and a half, so... Uh, it's it's got to be Arbuckle time at 0-6. And, and their schedule will get easier, right? They've got the two Ottawa's, or probably the two Winnipeg games out of the way to do the Red Blacks. So they'll have a little easier schedule than others. 0-6, fortunately for them, it's only a three-game hole, right? Because Toronto's only 3-2 and two, with a negative point difference. So the whole <laughs> East is awful. It's just awful in the West. Whoever wins the West, Calgary, BC, Winnipeg, Sask, whoever wins the West is rolling through the Grey Cup. It's just... It's so it's so weird. I had hopes for competition from the East, but not going to happen. Well, I joked on the show earlier this week, the Saskatchewan travel people can start booking in that crossover spot uh, to play the East in week one of the CFL playoffs. Obviously, it's a joke. There's still a long ways to go. You know this team very well from calling their games for the last couple seasons. What do you make of their situation right now? And this matchup this weekend against the BC Lions coming off the bye with um, the incredible performances they've had so far this season. Yeah, it, it, COVID is a real bear, man. Like, it, it just, they had no chance in, in that game against Toronto. It, COVID and injuries and Fajardo's, you know, banged up. They they revealed it was an MCL injury or it is an MCL injury for Fajardo. So that'll continue to be a problem probably throughout the rest of the season. The way, I mean, Cody doesn't want to sit down, right? He's, he's a competitor. He wants to go out there and crush guys. So, he doesn't want to sit down, so he'll fight through whatever he can. It's it's hard. I thought going into the season, well, they've lost a fair bit of talent through various means. Just going to strangle my dog for a second. Ruby, stop that. Uh, I thought they lost a fair bit of talent, and, and it's kind of come to fruition because then you get the standard uh, number of injuries to Shaq Evans. Uh, Duke Williams gets suspended. It's The offensive line has its woes. It's it's going to be hard for them because they're four and three, and this should have been an easier part of their schedule, right? They still have the Winnipegs and the BCs and the, and the the Calgarys to come, and they're a game above five hundred. They're they're going to need something to go right for them because, man, was AC Leonard now on the six game injury list? Did I see that right? That's a real blow as well. It's yeah. If, if I'm Saskatchewan, and again, this is why no one pays me to coach, I'd be thinking, yeah, crossover. Okay, let's 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 gear up for that. We just need to be healthy because we're probably going to make the playoffs. You just got to be healthy in the playoffs. It doesn't matter. You could be 4-14 four and 14 going to the playoffs, but if you're in, you got a chance to win. So No, exactly. Uh, and, and you know what? And to wrap this up, I mean, you know, Saskatchewan has had, I mean, it's been embarrassing at times for Saskatchewan. I mean, the Marino stuff, the Williams in the touchdown Atlantic game, the, self, the, the suspensions that are entirely self-inflicted. 
I think yeah. back to the beginning of the season. I mean, the the debacle at the end of the first half for the Red Blacks not getting a playoff and costing themselves three points. The penalties they took late in game number two of the year. Uh, I think of the Argos fighting with each other on the sidelines. <laughs> and the Bombers in their last two games taking full advantage of ridiculous roughing the kicker penalties where they turned them both into touchdowns that ended up being huge turning points in the games with the three buys still to come. I mean, Bombers still are in a great spot. We'll see whether they can get to eight and zero on Saturday night. The game and the broadcast starts at 6 PM. You'll hear DT and uh, Doug Brown call it on CGOB and make sure to tune in for all of their pregame coverage for a full two hours, starting at 4 PM on Saturday afternoon before 6 PM kickoff from McMahon. DT, thanks much for doing this man have a great call on the weekend thanks brother all right appreciate dt jumping on the program today 6 p.m saturday night highlight of the long weekend for bomber fans the quest to go eight no we'll hit the bombers in it more with jeff hamilton coming up in just a second quick hydration break on wst and when you think water in winnipeg you always think culligan locally owned and family owned for over 65 years they do have everything you need when it comes to water products and solutions. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, citywide delivery services, and everything you need for the office too. Whether it is for your office, home, or cottage, Culligan's got you covered. See them at 1200 Sargent Avenue. Give them a call at 694-5180 or check out all their products and services online at drinkculligan.com. Donnie and the gang at Manitoba Battery are ready for the long weekend. Are you? Uh, Manitoba Battery's got batteries for everything you need to enjoy and dominate the summer. They're also home with a $99 deep cycle battery, and you won't find anyone in town that can compete with that price. Whether it's for the camper, the boat, or anything else, Manitoba Battery has the battery you need at the best price. So don't waste your time and money at the big box stores, head on down to the coolest JetBlue building in Winnipeg at 1026 Logan Avenue. Or better yet, he'll save you even more time by delivering it to you at no extra cost anywhere inside the perimeter and outside the city at just a small additional fee. Forget the big box stores when it comes to batteries. Shop local, get a better price, and enjoy the convenience and service that Manitoba Battery has to offer. Learn more at manitobabattery.com or give them a shout at 783 87 87. We're going to talk a little NFL with Feinberg a little later on. Um, you NFL fans got to get ready for the season and no better place to do that than Royal Sports, which is the undisputed spot to get all of your favorite team's merchandise. They've got new stock coming in by the day, getting ready for the season. And it's not just NFL, Blue Jays in Major League Baseball, Jets in the NHL, Bombers in the CFL, NBA, International Soccer, and more. Not to mention hockey, soccer, softball, baseball, bikes, fitness, tennis, disc golf, everything you need to get the most out of our very brief Manitoba summers. Visit them, 750 Pemina Highway, and online or on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina. Follow them for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. And a big cheers to our friends at Breezy Ben. Talked to Corey there yesterday. They are so excited for the Canadian Mid-Amateur Women's Golf Championship with over 100 of the best female golfers, 25 and over. We'll look to get out there and do a show from the event and um, make sure to 
if you're a golf fan, to get out there and support it as well. And if you're thinking about a great home for you and your family on the golf course, Breezy Bend is the spot. Talk to Corey about their waiting list for next season or find out more online at breezybend.ca. All right, lots to get to with Jeff Hamilton today. Let's welcome in the Hammer from the Winnipeg Free Press. Hammer, what's good, man? Great to have you back on the program. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Huss. Um, just uh, day three of my week off, so... Just uh, enjoying life without thinking about work. Unfortunately, that uh, has taken a bit of a break the last couple of days as I've, you yeah. know, kind of crept into these Hockey Canada, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them. You want to call them government proceedings. You want to call them briefings. You want to call them, you know, Q&As. You want to call them unprecedented access to some of hockey's highest brass. Uh, yeah, it's been fascinating. Well, so. you know, let's start off there because I spent some time. I figured there was nowhere else we really could start today. I mean, I spent more time watching CPAC than I have in my entire life. I mean, this is not something that usually, um, you know, when it comes to politics and what's happening on the Hill, not really my scene. But I thought it was important to watch what Scott Smith had to say today, um, being grilled and to say the least by members of all of the parties in the House of Commons. And Smith's in a difficult situation. He's been the head guy for, I think he said, 27 days. Uh, but he has been a key player in that organization as really the operations guy under Bob Nicholson and then under Tom Rennie. Um, and he was put in the unenviable position really for answering on the last number of decades you know, for where this organization has been where it is right now, and of course, where it needs to go, and most importantly, who needs to take it there. I mean, you've covered these sort of stories for a long time, obviously. I mean, the Stay on the Game award-winning series on Graham James has been well-documented. What uh, what, were, what were your observations from, uh, from what happened yesterday, but more so today when Scott Smith was up there for a better part of three hours? Oh, man, so many thoughts. I mean, really, I mean, as I mentioned, I think last week on your show, it's one of those bittersweet things. I mean, this is, you know, as I mentioned, you know, just earlier, unprecedented access to people who, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of reporters out there, you know, not named Rick Westhead, Katie Strang, who are doing incredible work through this over decades who would have done a lot of things, myself included, to have access to a Glenn McCurdy the way that they have you know, had today. And, and, you know, whether that be Tom Rennie or, you know, you mentioned Huss, I think he even tweeted, where's Bob Nicholson? He's obviously a guy who's played a big role in, in Hockey Canada. Um, you know, it's, this has been, so just to see these guys, you know, including David Branch, you know, Rob Roberson, um, you know, representation from the CFL, CFL, CHL, you know, all those in one room, just to see them face questions, face criticism, right? I mean, I appreciate a lot of the comments that followed up some of the questions, right? Where, where MPs took 40 seconds to pretty much just lay a lot of their personal feelings towards these people. And again, a lot of people have, have been stonewalled by these exact men, by this exact organization for decades. So to see my first observation is, I obviously appreciate the level of accountability. The unfortunate part in all this is that it's a lot of the same, you know, I think we've got a lot more clarity than we've certainly gotten used to. I mean, I appreciate some of the numbers being being, you know, immediately revealed, whether that, you know, whether that be through the fund that was, you know, paying off different, you know, abuse scandals or accusations and, and whatnot and, and, the, and how many cases have come forward. But a lot of the same stuff. I mean, the fact is, is that if this didn't go down, if, if this courage of, you know, the, the woman from 2018 didn't come forward and 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 create, you know, this 
this mo- this momentum, which has been building. I mean, let's be clear, has been building for you know weeks, months, in a lot of cases, whether that be Kyle Beach's instance and all, and 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 you know Sheldon Candy, obviously, well before that. Um, but this wouldn't be happening. This, you know, you wouldn't have, you know, this, these representatives standing up there answering these questions or a willingness to answer these questions because they wouldn't have done anything had this not happened. I mean, what, what, what other evidence did you need? I mean, there's lots of incidents in the past, whether that's Graham James, whether that's, you know, sports bodies and, and people rallying for, you know, independent, you know, they so proudly suggest that they're going to do independent investigations. Now that's been something that people have been pounding on the door for, for decades. And, you know, people have gone through the cracks because of the, of the inaction. And so, you know, certainly I, I enjoyed the accountability being held there, but I certainly wasn't left with this feeling that Hockey Canada, you know, as genuine as they might've come across in some of their responses is capable or, you know, equipped to do anything positive moving forward because they've proven time and time again in some cases in some of those men's careers 30 plus years that they've done nothing and so as great as this accountability is i just i'm left thinking there's still way more to do but at least we're getting to that point where it's it's heading in the right direction well a big question as to who is going to be leading that way and as i mentioned scott smith and you know a full disclosure i mentioned this the program i'm not sure if you heard it i mean i essentially work for scott i mean uh, working with hockey canada as part of the women's program putting on the world women's hockey championship a, a, an event and experience that was one of the best i've ever been involved in and something that i was incredibly proud of doing um and scott at that time was you know, essentially a right-hand man for Bob Nicholson. I mean, Bob was the figurehead, almost the king of Hockey Canada, if you will. And Scott was the one that had boots on the ground, would come out here from Calgary and was incredibly helpful to us in putting on a world-class event and something that, you know, will remain one of the highlights of, you know, sports in this city for the better part of the last 20 years, or at least since the turn of the century. All that being said, um, he has been a very influential person in that organization for a long time and fair or unfair as the head guy right now, even though he's just taken over from Tom Rennie, not even a full month ago, um, there was Sheldon Kennedy, the one of the most impactful persons for obvious reasons on this topic saying that, you know, Scott needs to resign. They really need to have a full overhaul of hockey Canada from your experience best case scenario for Canadians and the future of this game, what happens going forward and how does hockey Canada as an organization look in a year or two years down the road, Jeff? I think you do a complete teardown as far as investigating the operations, how things are done. Cause you can't really lead forward in positive moves until you've established what exactly has been the status quo there. And I would immediately remove all leadership. Uh, you know, that that's on that board. And I would have a completely new process in place that hired, you know, a variety of people, a variety of people from various cultures. I mean, go look at the board. It's purely white. I mean, they just most recently have added women to the mix and people of, you know, people of color, you know, backgrounds, ethnicities. They've only recently done this in this last bit. And that and the role of that of those people in those positions is still very low. It's still getting to a point where they're trying to build you know, influence you know, a lot of, you know, Kevin Watt today brought up the whole idea that a lot of the decisions get decided in a vacuum, right? Where it's the, the top brass, the CEO presidents and, and, you know, people on the executive and then the chair of the board, it's not bleeding down to the rest of the board members to give their in, input and, and influence. So that really, if, if all you need is controlling the one guy at the top of the board, what's the point, you know, this whole bringing in a diverse background on the board of directors, what's the point? There is none. 
it's just more optics than anything. And, and, and so I think the best case scenario here, and they are doing an internal investigation into, you know, the, the roles of the executive and, and, and whatnot. So that's a good step. But at the end of it, I don't know how you can possibly come to a conclusion where these men, the men that have been around and that, and I would extend that, I mean, to the CHL because the CHL is going through this exact nightmare with their class action lawsuit. I mean, they're going to be better off getting new leadership. So as particularly at Hockey Canada, until you can bring somebody in that can prove, that can say the right things, because right now, how, how can you believe anything that Scott Smith has to say? How, how can you believe anything that anyone who's been there, you know, since the Graham James era, who have been asked and, and pleaded with to, to market change here, to, to now all of a sudden believe them at their worst possible, you know, situation to believe that, they, that that they're the ones that should be leading us into this prosperous future absolutely not there's a lot of great people out there there's a lot of great ideas out there there's people in the hockey community who do believe in the 99 percent and not just the one percent you know of, of professional athletes in team canada that seem to come to define our success uh in this sport we just we need we need visionaries people who don't know the game so all the all the pros that were being brought up today about longevity in the program you know respect from the board we don't care you sh- we shouldn't care about any of that we don't want none of that seems like a green flag all of that feels like a red flag so we need somebody to come in and 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 actually demand and install you know faith in the process not to the people who are inside hockey canada but to the to the millions of people who are on the outside looking in at what looks like an absolutely disgraceful organization hey one more for you on this because um i mean so much of this is about the structure the organization of hockey canada but this all essentially is coming out of revelations about the 2018 incident and now the horrifying details of what's been alleged to happen in 2003 um what happens to the individuals <clears throat> that were involved in those incidents? Um, I mean, guess more recently, I mean, a number of those 2018 players, I would imagine, are playing in the National Hockey League right now. Some of them could be star players in the NHL. We don't have the names. I know a lot of internet sleuths have been sort of trying to narrow the narrow the names down. But um, is there any count? Is there any chance of accountability or culpability for those individuals? And I guess on the back end of that. What do you imagine comes out of the uh, horrifying allegations from 2003 of which they have opened up an investigation to? Well, and speaking of, you know, the, the Rick Westheads and Katie Strengs, I mean, there's it, the fact of the matter is that without their reporting, we're not, you know, the, the, the MPs aren't paying attention. You know, they're high profile people mm-hmm. in this country. They, they've held to account, you know, a lot of the people that we did, you know, whether it was a 2018 stuff, whether, you know, and. They've quoted Rick Westhead without his email about what happened in 2003. Hockey Candace apparently still would have no idea that those those events took place. So, you know, it's going to be the the power of, you know, an influence of press and media and the public and pressure to to put to put, you know, to, to put on these these people and to, you know, I, I don't even remember what your question was, Haas. If you could quickly remind me of just, well, I mean, you know, just like the, like the players, the culpability. I oh, mean, the will culpability. There be... yeah, I, I think if you listen to what mm. they've said and that's, and that's what I meant by the, you know, the, the media pressure, the public pressure, the, okay, you've said these things and they have said that the, there will be consequences when they find out who these, these men were in the room. So, you know, those, how, how far do those consequences extend? Well, we know for a fact, I guess, given their statements that they would be out of any kind of hockey Canada sanctioned events. So any world championships, any Olympics, any of those kind of things, world juniors in some cases, I guess for some players, if they were to get 
busted. I'm not, you know, obviously the people in 2018 are, uh, have moved on from and now are starting their professional careers. I would imagine would extend to the NHL. The NHL has come forward and said that they plan to fully, you know, cooperate with the, the investigation. And, and the reality is, is I think we're going to we're going to see some stiff penalties against these guys because hockey Canada hockey in general has backed itself into a corner and now people want to see actual results they don't want to see a slap on the wrist you know we've seen a couple different prospects come in and do you know unsavory behavior and and get like a you know a bit of a suspension or get a bit of a ban we're talking about a multiple player sexual assault on a on, on, a, on a on a young woman here so you know I think that it goes down to hockey as a privilege, not a right. And I would only expect the NHL, based on their comments, that any any players that were to to, to show up or be proven to have a, a you know a significant and abusive role in all this would lose their privileges of being an NHL hockey player. Whether or not that would lend to you know similar to like what we saw with the Blackhawks scandal, right? With with uh, with, with Joel Quenville, right? He's not technically reinstated to get a job. We t- heard about the interest, maybe percolating around the league for his services. Well, that can't happen until he gets, you know, welcome back to the NHL. So maybe maybe that's the process. Maybe it's an indefinite suspension, but something has to be done, especially if those names, if and when, become public. Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press with us here on uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right, let's move on. And, and you know what I mean with the the seriousness, and if anyone spent some time, if you missed it today, I'd suggest, well, you know, watch some of the evening news and you'll be able to get some of the – um, the important parts of today, because if you are a hockey fan, especially I'll put a link on my Twitter too, so you can probably rewatch it. it. It it'd be worth rewatching it because man, is it theater? Yeah, no, no, it really is, and I mean it's important. And I mean we're all stakeholders in this. I mean whether you're a fan, whether you have a child that's playing in the game, whether you plan to be involved in the future. I mean I think it's important for everyone to be on the same page on this. And what came out of today was a very important, um, somewhat more trivial, and back to a more sort of fun topic. Um, is the local team here. And it does put into perspective some of the topics that has been getting everyone going here about is a guy going to stay here or go? I mean, um, you know, it, hockey can also bring people together, give people the things to talk about. And it's certainly the Winnipeg Jets offseason has given us lots to talk about. The last couple of weeks has been all about Pierre-Luc Dubois. He met the media on Monday. Um, what was your reaction to what we heard from PLD and didn't hear from PLD in relation to this upcoming season with the Jets and his future with the club? Look, leading into that weekend, I thought that would be such an uncomfortable position for him that by Monday he wouldn't be wearing a Winnipeg Jets jersey. Like that's how that's the vibe I had heading into the weekend. Obviously, that was not the case. He's certainly a Winnipeg Jet uh, and was so for the Zoom availability. I thought it was interesting. Um, I thought he got asked a lot of different questions. He certainly skirted around a lot of different um, different answers, you know, not uh, not saying anything outright, explaining, you know, the challenges and making a decision. In this case, a, you know, a, a long-term commitment to the Winnipeg Jets. Um, all in all, I just, I took, a, I took away a couple of things. I see a guy who at this point in time is not convinced at all that he wants to be a Winnipeg Jet you know, for what he, you know, dubbed at one point his, perhaps the, the contract he retires on. I think that puts a lot of perspective into things that he believes, you know, he wants to sign long-term somewhere and that long-term he wants to establish a bit of a home base. And I just don't think he's convinced with Winnipeg. Now, a couple different things on that. Uh, one, I don't blame him for being in that situation. He went from having a horrendous year where pretty much the fan base turned on him and thought he was garbage to having a, a pretty good year. Uh, and, and, you know, being the one guy who seemed accountable on the ice and off the ice, 
um, with a bunch of other guys that didn't seem accountable on either on either part. So, you know, if you're looking and, and let's face it, I mean, the Winnipeg Jets have had two months of their worst, you know, PR as an organization. And I had mentioned in that, you know, Q&A with Pierre Dubois, I, I wouldn't don't know if I'd blame anybody who didn't want to sign a long term commitment to the Winnipeg Jets at this moment. The unfortunate part, I think, in all this is that I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to convince him in, in a season or two that this is where he wants to be for all those things he mentioned, where he wants to re- potentially retire, where he would might want to raise a family, all these all these different things. Now, I, you know, I know fans don't want to hear that. I think there's potential possibly to, to you know, convince him to stick around long term. I also think there's potential that Pierre-Luc Dubois is in a Winnipeg Jet by training camp. You know, I think at this point, if you're the Winnipeg Jets and, you, and you're not buying that, you know, look, he didn't have to ask for a trade. That is, that is, you know, career suicide in small markets. You don't ask for a trade. You know what I mean? Like this whole idea that, well, I can tell you right now definitively I did not ask for a trade. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding you didn't ask for a trade because then you asked for a trade, you know what I mean? This would not be an easy process for you for two more years. So uh, certainly that would be the smart move not to do it, but there's, there's things that you can do. Now, you know, I thought it was interesting too with all the, you know, talk about his agent mentioning – you know, mentioning Montreal, I think there is a little bit of responsibility on media painting out, you know, this this desire that he wants to go there versus it's a place he would, you know, enjoy playing. Anybody who knows or has covered Pierre-Luc Dubois knows that, you know, playing for the Montreal, playing against the Montreal Canadiens is always a special moment. So it wouldn't be a far reach to suggest that playing with them would be, you know, a thing. Guess what? You well, asked... No- yeah, 95% no one of the NHL say- <laughs> where they would play, Montreal's in their top three list. So it's No one not- needed to suggest Maybe. it. Pat Brisson did that for him. I mean, well, that's the thing. Like, this is entirely self-inflicted. Well, I mean, and, and, it could have been yeah. handled so much better and so much easier so that, frankly, he didn't have to be doing a media conference on Monday well, from the, my the perspective. Point, the, the point of the matter is, if he wanted to be a Winnipeg Jet and viewed himself as potentially a captain for this organization or whatever, he would be doing the opposite. The, 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 you know, his agent, his representation would be talking about how he wants to one day lead the Winnipeg Jets to a Stanley Cup, even if he's not going to be signed there, even if the dollars don't make sense in Winnipeg, right? That all that process will come into play down the line. So I'm 100% with you in that. And I thought, Pierre, who is, by the way, you know, is easily one of the more thoughtful and intelligent, you know, speakers for the Jets. And, you know, I don't think a lot of guys would have handled it the way he handled it. You know, I think he looked comes across a little bit naive with the with the agent comments talking about how he wasn't on the same page. I, I believe, you know, I mean, he, he went out and dismissed the whole idea that he went to the draft, you know, want you know, expecting to be traded, like he was gonna somehow be caught in the jumbotron hugging his dad that he was, you know, gonna be with a, a different team. I thought that was, you know, like you know, you know, there were multiple reports, including from the athletic, and I don't even blame them either because I know that, you know, I believe that there were, were negotiation chats with the, the Montreal Canadiens leading there. So I think it's safe to assume that if there was going to be a moment that he got traded, it would be during the draft. But I don't, you know, I just, it, it comes back to language. It's like the expectation versus did he think he would be? Yeah, maybe he did think he would be. So just, you know, I, I thought that, you know, Pierre-Luc's efforts to kind of dispel some of the, or, you know, take, you know, take a little bit of the fuel off the flames didn't exactly go as planned, but um, I just think it's also one of those things that, you know, we don't know what the effects will be in the locker room. We don't know how other, you know, his teammates will react to to what, you know, seems like clear 
efforts to to manipulate the, the the process much of which as an rfa for two more seasons he doesn't have a lot of control over well yeah, that's it and and you know from my perspective the one thing that i think is a positive for the jets as much as you could get any positive over this with how uncertain his future is or maybe certain in many people's minds mine as well um was the fact that he signed the qualifying offer now you can debate as to why he did that i firmly believe i think that makes him more tradable in the near future right now um but he certainly said the right things when it comes to um you know being a part of the team looking forward to this season talking to rick bonus um and that's a good thing i mean the one thing that would be an absolute disaster regardless of how long he's around in winnipeg if he was coming in sulking in a bad mood and um maybe not giving his 100 percent, and everyone realizes and i'm sure he does more than anyone it is his in his best interest to come in be a professional and have a great season um you know it's it's great for the winnipeg jets so um and obviously it'll be good for him um, where, at what point do you think considering taking away the, I would say small possibility that everything goes so well this year and he comes around going, you know what? I could really see myself playing with Kyle Connor all these years. And maybe I will sign a deal. Even if it's not eight years, like a deal like Patrick line, did for four years and at least stay here in the near term from a jets perspective. At what point do you think his value is the best and when is it most likely that some sort of a deal would happen? Are we basically going through this entire season and then doing this song and dance again next summer with one less year of team control? Well, it's a different answer for different questions. Like, what, where would his highest value be? You could argue his highest value is right now. So, you know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't rule out, you know, the potential of a trade. I mean, I'm, sh- you know, I, and and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't necessarily think that it was limited to Montreal. I mean, there's other teams out there that might be interested in or believe in a, in a two year window, right? We believe that maybe if we can bring this guy in, cause Pierre Dubois at $6 million is not a, you know, not a bad situation to be in. And the, and that's the other part too, before I get into the other, the, the trade stuff, I think it's smart for Pierre Dubois not to go into arbitration or qualify or, and to take the qualifying offer, because I just don't think his value is nearly as high as he wants it to be. Why would he sign a long term right now as a 61 or whatever, 60, 61 point guy? I mean, he probably believes he's a point per game player and, and and we'll get that opportunity wherever he goes. And if you're a point per game player, guess what? Your 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 salary rises significantly. So anyway, moving on to as possible trade times, I'd say right now would be a good one as far as as far as value. If you don't, if you truly believe as an organization, he's not going to be here. And you know, I floated out the idea of Hellbuck too, and I got crucified for that idea. And it's not like I'm advocating. I think the two guys. You know, as someone who watched this team very closely for years, particularly last year, you want both Hellebuck and Pierre-Luc Dubois. But the reality is, is that if you don't think that they're going to be here in two seasons, you have to at least consider the idea of moving them, you know, this offseason and, you know, especially next offseason. You know, do you, do we really think that the Winnipeg Jets are primed to win the Stanley Cup over the next two seasons? Are we thinking that last season was such a you know, an outlier that they're going to suddenly compete for a, for a Stanley cup this year with, with arguably a less talented team. Last season actually didn't happen. Well, And maybe that's the approach and maybe that's the belief amongst a lot of people, but that's, you know, you can put that in with anybody. You can put that in with Mark Shifley. You can put that in with Blake Wheeler. If you can't move them, you know, like these are, these are guys who are under contract for two more seasons that if you're not thinking about it now at value, you're going to be forced to think about it in a year year from now so 
it, you know, it's a fascinating time for the Winnipeg Jets. I think it's a, a, a difficult decision for them because I truly, at this point in time, believe that they, you know, they're almost moving way towards running it back than, than developing or trying to create a new culture, trying to create a new core, uh, you know, pick that core and, and build around them and have to move, you know, significant pieces out. Because here's the thing, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, we've seen over the years, it doesn't matter if you're good on paper. You need to be good in the locker room. You need to be a team that's you know has cohesion, that's that's that loves playing where they are and loves playing for each other. And I just with all the stuff that we're getting this off season, with all the you know with all the reports coming out of all different corners of this organization, I'm not sure you're going to get that buy-in within the next year or at least or two to to get to the point where you become that team that's capable of doing a deep run for the Stanley Cup. Rick Bonus deserves that. To be honest, I mean, he, I think you can make that argument for sure. And that's probably why they're doing it is is for Rick bonus being like, what can you do with this roster before we do a lot of surgery to it? And I've heard I've had several people share, share the same sentiment with me, Hustler, that this is for for their sake. Scouts, consultants I've talked to go for Rick bonuses state. I hope they don't do anything with this roster, but I'm just not sure that's a winning success. No, I, I would say Rick Bonus deserves to have players that are committed to being here and oh, all, for sure. all, all in. And, and I think that if you have players, like if you've been talking about trading some particular guys because of the way they handled themselves last year, the way they're approaching it, whatever their part in a culture that needed some big improvement, if you decided that you were going to go that way, I think you sort of owe Rick Bonus to go through with those moves and give him more of a clean slate as to going in as a, you know as a fix it guy to to have something that's broken. I mean, I think he almost needs more of a clean slate. And you know, we had him on the show last week. I mean, I love his positivity. He says a lot of things that I think fans can get around on. And he did say to me that you know he had a number of conversations with a number of players who said exactly that. They want guys that want to be here, committed to Winnipeg, committed to being Winnipeg Jets going forward. And I think that's the way you start a culture that can both be accountable to each other, better on the ice. And then from an organizational standpoint, that sort of thing will go a long way with the fan base. Even if the team maybe loses a few less games, a more likable team that seems like they actually embrace being Winnipeg Jets and being here in Winnipeg, as opposed to the organization, everyone sort of having to apologize for playing here. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's sometimes it's it seemed that way. And, uh, I mean, that will go a long way to, I think, getting people on board, regardless of what happens in the wins and losses column. And, um, you know, it's not like Rick Bonus is just here for one year, but I really do think that this change needs to start going into the season as opposed to seeing what happens, running it back, and then making the same changes or many of the same changes you probably were considering or trying to make at the beginning of this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, to, just to my point before, I think, maybe there's a bit of a happy medium there, right? Maybe there's the organization that believes that what happened last year, you know, like, like you said, didn't happen or, you know, was, was an outlier. And so what can Rick bonus do with this roster? What can you do with this team, this culture with, with these players, you know, cause let's face it, hanging into this point at last season, it was the summer of Chevy and the jets were, you know, they were, you know, legitimate contenders for the Stanley cup and all that. So maybe there's a bit of an approach here that goes, well, we'll give him one year on that. And then the second year of his contract, maybe we start identifying certain things and maybe it's more of a retooling. Maybe we get rid of one or two guys, three guys or whatever, uh, and, and build from there. So, you know, well, I, well I, just, I, Hey, just quickly on that, Jeff, I mean, let's face it. We all know what the contract situation of so many of these key players with two years left. And that's why 
I mean, to me, this is a one-year window. I mean, to see what you get out of this team this year and potentially not even the whole season because if you decide that, and you know, uh, we're not going to be able to sign Pierre-Luc Dubois long-term, or if you get the inclination that you're not going to be able to do that with Connor Hellebach or with Mark Scheifele, or you're not going to do it, playing it out for two years and starting from scratch and not getting anything for these players, I don't think is ever going to be the plan of a team in Winnipeg's situation with the disadvantages they have when it comes to trades and when it comes to free agency. Well, yeah, and I think that's I th- and I think that's where the the ownership and the and the management team are 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 find themselves right now with a bit of uncertainty, not knowing exactly which direction they want to go to. I don't think they feel comfortable at this point, given you know the the dwindling attendance numbers, given the issues they've kind of had off the ice as far as you know again box office and other things, and you know fan apathy and all that stuff that they want to go into. A, I don't think they're in the right spot to go into a building you know, situation where they're tearing it down and getting rid of key players and, and trying to build, you know, through the draft again and, and, and do the kind of culture change that way where, you know, you start building around the Cole Perfettis and other guys that you, you've brought in. Uh, but, uh, you know, I go so on that, on that vein, I think that they think there's maybe another year there of getting to the playoffs of, of injecting some of that, you know, feel good. And maybe they're taking, you know, maybe they're expecting bonus to do what Daryl Sutter did for for Calgary and turn them around in one season. And and maybe you know we're we're moving on past this and and all that. I just think at this point, it you know whether it happens or not, it's it, it's it's just an incredibly tough sell uh, to a fan base that watched last season seem to go down like a slow motion car accident. Jeff Hamilton with us from the Winnipeg Free Press. Hammer, before we go, uh, we're going to be talking about an eight no bomber team next week. What do you make of this matchup coming up in Calgary? Oh, well, you know what? I thought this was setting up to be the the week that the Bombers lost, uh, just given, you know, where they're playing. They're running on fumes. They really are. I mean, I thought, uh, you know, their effort in, in Edmonton, you know, a winning effort, albeit, but I, I feel like it's just indicative of, of where they're at and, you know, where they're at with injuries and where they've been at with what's been a pretty grueling schedule, you know, being on the road, uh, you know, for a significant amount of games already, which set them up to have just a an absolutely perfect second half where in 12 weeks they have three buys and and only three games on the road. Um, But I just, you know, I thought that was going to be the case this week. And then all of a sudden the news comes out of Calgary, a bunch of players got COVID and and some even have pneumonia. Uh, You know, I'm not laughing at that as far as like, you know, just more of, you know, an unfortunate circumstance, but now, now they got guys who aren't practicing. So maybe that, you know, that, that playing field being a little bit more level here. We'll see what comes out of Calgary the rest of the week. But certainly been an impressive run by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You know, I I, I'm, I definitely um, believe in that whole mantra. It doesn't matter how you win. It's the fact that you are winning and, and good teams. I mean, I've said this before. It, it, was, it was Calgary that was the team that used to be, you know, not put forth their best effort and end up with a victory, whether that be over Winnipeg or anybody else in the league. And we're certainly seeing that with the Bombers now where it's there's just that true belief that every week they're going to win. So, to you know, to rule them out, um, you know, out of this week would be a fool's game. But they certainly have their uh, match made for them against a good Calgary team. The funniest thing is, I, I found this, and I mean, we sort of joked and maybe could understand about it in week one and week two against Ottawa. Um, you know, Ottawa took some terrible penalties. I mean, Lapo owned it. I mean, the clock management in that one game, not making the the, the, uh, the not even having the opportunity for the field goal um, was inexcusable, but it happens earlier on with teams that are rebuilding. Um, we've seen what's happened with Saskatchewan. I mean, the suspensions totally cell phoned and the problems that they've had. Toronto has been fighting on the sidelines. And then 
like Calgary, maybe more than any team so far against the Bombers, killed themselves. I mean, the rough and the kicker that ended up being a six-point penalty. I mean, you go from missing a field goal to putting a touchdown in, the drops that they had, the penalties. The Bombers, the one thing you can say about the Bombers is they never beat themselves. And they allow teams to make mistakes. And man, did they jump on those mistakes and make teams pay for them. And uh, to me, that's the difference from being like a 5-2 and two team and 7-0 and oh right now. That is, I mean, the, the, the margin for error is sometimes razor thin. And if you're that team who can be, you know, as you mentioned, not shooting yourself in the foot, not taking stupid penalties, not, you know, not, not, and at, and at critical moments. I mean, there have been times this season where the Bombers have, you know, taken undisciplined penalties and extended drives, but they've always come up with big plays. And I think, you know, you, you look at this team, um, you know, and, and, and their identity this year. And, and it feels a bit opportunistic, but, you know, it's it's just the pedigree of a championship team that has a lot of trust and confidence in, in what they're doing and, and don't have to go rogue in their game plan. Don't feel like they have to, you know, freelance on, on certain things. They trust their coaches. They trust what they, you know, the work they put in throughout the week, you know, in their game plan, you know, from week to week. And so when you, when you have that trust and confidence in your coaching and your game plan, uh, that willingness to stick with it remains. And, and that's just, that's just been it. So it's, you know, it's, it's just waiting for your opportunity to, to pounce on them. And, and that's exactly what the Bombers have done. They've created less situations where they've had to dig themselves out of a hole and more opportunities for themselves to climb, you know, climb ahead of a competition, even by a slim margin, as we've seen in recent weeks. Yeah, I'm not sure we'll ever get a game where the Bombers lose the turnover battle, which they rarely do, lose the time of possession by a full quarter (laughs) and complete seven passes and not only win, but cover comfortably and win by double digits but uh good teams find different ways to win and that was one of the more interesting ways the bombers have won hey before we go what do you make of the saskatchewan rough riders right now um (laughs) well we got to narrow that one down yeah well i mean listen they've seemed to have some real discipline problems within the team um they certainly are dealing with some adversity when it came to illness and certainly injury with cody fajardo and they're in a division right now jeff that you know has three teams that are all very very good battling at the top and i mean are they just destined to be a fourth place team and uh you think they have a chance to beat bc this weekend albeit at home with the uh, bc lions coming in as a slight favorite well understanding that this is far far too early to be making any kind of predictions that where someone's going to finish at the end of the season as you look at as you look at the rough riders as a prime example a lot can happen you know, through seven or eight games. Uh, So that's certainly been the case for them. I will pick up on uh, on what you're dropping with the riders potentially finishing fourth uh, in the, in, in, in the, uh, in the West division and then crossing over to the East. Now we all know, or anyone that's ever written, that's ever heard from fans or whatever, we all know that, that that's not exactly the most successful path. Not only has nobody won the great cup as a crossover team, no one's actually made the great cup as a crossover team, of course, having to go twice on the road outside of your division. Um, that being said, this year's a pretty interesting one because this looks just, the East just looks like hot garbage. And I know you've been throwing out the, you know, the notion of maybe possibly getting a trade for Andrew Harris by the end of the season. I don't think that's going to happen because I think the, the Argos are, gonna, are just going to back into the, <laughs> back into top spot in the East. So I do think it's a beatable one. That's all a roundabout way of painting a picture of, could you imagine, if the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, you know, managed to get to that West Final and 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 punch their ticket into the Grey Cup this year, and and the Riders 
happen to finish fourth and make their way around. It'll be the Bombers that get the home dressing room against the Riders. They <laughs> get all their facilities while the Riders would get what is arguably the ugliest road locker room by design uh, for their own Great Cup festivities. I could see their organization or their donors building an entirely separate wing for the Great Cup <laughs> in a home renovation within a week if that was to happen. But that's certainly, you know, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that that could happen this year, which would just be amazing. Hammer, great stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to get the chance to see Andrew Harris, this time not in Toronto, but this time in Regina, because I do think the Alouette or the Argos right now are the best of a of a weak lot, and you laid it out. I mean, you just don't see teams do the crossover and actually get to that final spot, but uh, should be interesting. Bottom line is, it's going to be a great week in the CFL. I'm interested in that BC uh, Rider game, and uh, we got the Bombers and Stamps going at it again on, uh, on Saturday night, and I know you and the gang will have a... Uh, Great coverage all leading up to it and afterwards in the Winnipeg Free Press. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, right on, Huss. Thanks for having me on. And shout out to the commenters. This is a good sesh this time. We'll talk to you soon. There's Jeff Hamilton. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Jeff K. Hamilton. If you do want to watch that link of uh, the Hockey Canada hearings today, Jeff's got it up on his Twitter feed. All right. We're going to uh, step away to a little bit of golf, a little bit of NFL talk with Feinberg coming up. Uh, big cheers to our friends at Little Brown Jug. They've got a great deal on right now. With the Good Times Summer Variety Pack. Good times all summer with Little Brown Jug. Right now, purchase two Good Times Variety Packs and get a $15 Little Brown gift card, a Little Brown gift card to be used online or in the tap room. Uh, valid now until the July 31st at midnight. So uh, through the weekend, no coupon code necessary. Just pop down to the tap room on William Avenue. Grab a couple Good Times Variety Packs for the weekend and then enjoy that $15 gift card for Little Brown Jug your next time you pop in. Or you can always order online at littlebrownjug.ca. Our friends at Not Auto Corp are uh, ready for the rest of the weekend and looking ahead to the fall and winter. If it's time for you and your family to uh, upgrade that whip before you go anywhere, talk to the experts down at Knot. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Knot team? And check out the electric vehicles they've got online. If you're thinking about going electric, talk to a Knot expert about the Tesla Experience program they have. Teach you everything you need about transitioning to electric from traditional vehicles. Knot Autocorps at Waverly and McGilvery and online at Knot.ca. Uh, great night to hit up Boston Pizza. Blue Jays back in action for another game against the St. Louis Cardinals. And, of course, Boston Pizza is featuring their great new summer menu with the Carnitas Pizzas and Tacos. Pizza flights are back. And if you're not making it out tonight, you can always check out their game day deals and order online at bostonpizza.com. And, hey, we just had some great Bomber talk with Hammer and Jeff Hamilton or and uh, Derek Taylor, of course. All our Bomber reports are brought to you by our friends at Princess Auto. Proud sponsors of the Bombers and the place to be before each and every Bomber game at the Princess Auto tailgate outside IG Field two hours before the game. Enjoy $5 beers, $3.50 hot dogs and pop, DJ Finesse spinning, prizes from the Princess Auto team and more. No better way to get ready for kickoff than with Princess Auto and Bomber fans at the Princess Auto tailgate party. All right, let's bring in my guy Jeff Feinberg, talk a little golf and maybe a little NFL with training camps open around the league. What's going on, Feinberg? Great to have you back on the program. What's good? A uh, lot, lots is good. Huss, we always uh, keep on keeping on. No doubt. Um, hey, let's talk some golf first off. I mean, this is sort of a 
a dead time on the calendar, at least on the PGA Tour, coming off of the uh, the Open Championship. Um, last week, it was our guy Tony Fino getting it done. I joked. I, I obviously was on Fino, as usual. And I was going to tweet that if someone could just remind Scott Piercy at the turn that he is, in fact, Scott Piercy, that would really help. And uh, I didn't do it because I didn't want to jinx myself, but that, in fact, happened. That back nine... If you didn't have a Tony Fino ticket, would have been one of the more excruciating things to watch on tour in a long time. I mean, that was an explosion of epic proportions after he went through three rounds and nine holes being in complete control of that tournament. Yeah, almost more, Huss. It was like three rounds and and uh, 13 holes. And then he got to the 14th hole and he had a stroke to burn, did Piercy. He had a stroke to to give back to the field. There, he wasn't playing his great his best, but he could have made a bogey there and and survived it. He just got um a little too aggressive, maybe. And and yeah, it happened. He was making incredible up and downs. He was making these answering birdies. You kind of felt like it was over. The weird part about that event, from a spectator standpoint, hustler is it was so like one-sided Piercy all weekend. And then what happens on 14 happens, and you think, oh, my God, we're going to have this great finish. But all we really got was about six minutes of, like, close golf because Tony just, like, you know, then hits from 30 feet, then makes another one, and then, like, you think you're going to have something close. I, myself, had a griot ticket, Um uh, and then, like, everyone just made bogeys, and when you thought it was going to be close, now all of a sudden Fino's up by three, and it kind of just fell over instantly very quickly. So it was nice to see Fino win. He's had some things go against him on Sundays in the past, so it was nice to see it happen to somebody else and for him to get a trophy. Well, I mean, it was bizarre. I mean, in a matter of, like, seven holes, Tony went from five down to four up. But, you know, it's never easy with Tony. I don't know if you caught the 17th hole when he flew the green, hit it off the grandstand, and somehow prevented it from going in the water, and then put it in the water on 18 as well. It's never won. He's in the lineup in the field, though, for the Rocket Mortgage this uh, this week. Um, uh, any thoughts on uh, the card for this week heading into tomorrow's tee-off in, uh, in the D? I mean, full disclosure, Huss, I, I do have a betting card this week. Confidence level of it is that is that pretty low? I mean, that much I'll say last week I wasn't really confident in the card and it had Grio on it. And we were the kind of there at the end. Golf season, you mentioned we're a bit of a downturn. There's a downturn that happens after the Masters, but the season is still so young to me that I don't like feel it. And I don't mind like the change of pace of a team event or or match play, but we're really moving on fumes. Here. Like we're really, really moving on fumes, and the next week has the Wyndham, and then two of my favorite events all year are those first two legs of the FedEx Cup. So I'll catch, I'll catch my win, no doubt. But yeah, no, I have a betting card. Um, I do fear uh, Patrick Cantley. Kind of look, I didn't bet Patrick Cantley. Kind of the same reason I didn't bet Finau last week, and it did burn me because the number hit. And I mean, just close your eyes and think about it for a moment, hustler. When's the last time we had a golf tournament where someone sort of under 30, 35 to one uh, or over 30, 35 to one even won anything? It has almost been, um, you can almost go back to like KH Lee before mm-hmm. the PGA Championship. And I think I could be forgetting 
uh, you know, maybe a winner here, but the good players have started winning golf tournaments again. And you know me, I like to overexpose myself on betting on the good players. Not really the case this week. We're in Detroit. It feels like it could be a putting contest. I got a real Motley Crew Pope Potpourri sort of betting card uh, um, this week. Can Detroit. Tony go back to back? I mean, there's no way I wasn't going to be on him after he went for me last week. And if there is a guy that is overdue to just sort of get hot and win a couple based on his career, he would be that guy. Okay, if you just for this moment now, Hustler, stare down Tony Finau's not just results, but ball striking statistics in the events that weren't the U.S. Open or the British Open, um, almost since Mexico, since John Rahm won in Mexico and Finau had a great charge, I think, for second that week, every single non-major, he has truly been... um, top of the charts like an outstanding run of finishes here we are again in a non-major i actually thought he might be sitting this one out having just gotten the win the fedex cup around the corner having played the open championship um but he's gonna run his form i'm not betting on it i'm always cheering for tony if it would be wild to see him win back to back weeks um, like way more wild than like seeing Xander win back-to-back events, I feel, a few weeks ago. But you're riding the wagon, no reason to stop. It is a really weird board, though, Huss, because I mentioned how we've been hitting with or good players have been winning, but there's really only like five guys even under 30 to 1 on the betting board uh, this week. So it, it's hard to do a lot down there. I myself have chosen Max Homa, got a 27 to 1. Uh, he loves classically designed golf courses. Donald Ross designed golf courses is when, you know, Riviera and Quail Hollow and, you know, maybe a less talented version of Sam Burns. But I just believe the guys like a, a ga- in, like in the gamer version, like I don't mean video gamer. I just have like this true belief in Max Homa and trust. So he is the quote unquote only like good player I'm stepping to the window and and backing this well you know what it's saying when Dusty and I do the picks in the lock shop we usually take three I'll take two of that you know that range that we normally take and a bit of a long shot I went with Homa so I'm glad let's get that dub Um, Cam Davis defending champ 28 to 1 I like the number then instead of going the long shot Tony had the scratch from last week he's getting on the card as well Um, what's going on with Liv I wanted to talk PGA Tour first just out of respect, but the interest right now in these events you've mentioned is somewhat low. Um, Is Barkley going to live? And I don't know. I mean, I thought we heard a lot of the scuttlebutt that maybe Cantlay was going. I mean, there's been a number of big names that have been associated, and yet he's in Detroit this week and not at Trump course at Bedminster. Uh, What's the latest that you're hearing on uh, the upstart golf league owned by the Saudis? Well, the latest is event number three goes this week in Bedminster, New Jersey, Hustler. Um, For those, you know, who even if you care, don't care about the geopolitical aspects of live and and the whole Saudi money part of it. Hard not to realize how polarizing this can be in the sort of shadows of the, the Twin Towers. But the first event is in I'm sorry, the third event is happening in New Jersey, this week um the field editions aren't as strong as previous ones but i don't think people should read too much into that huss i think the whales are coming i think they've got a couple whales in their reel and and 
you know, let's just say you're a Patrick Cantley, you're a Cam Smith. At this point in the calendar, what is the point in going to live? Who wants? You've got to be such a a pawn like Henrik Stenson in this big picture of golf to want to make your debut in New Jersey. When the FedEx Cup starts in two weeks, you get the feeling guys like Cam Smith, Hideki Matsuyama, they're going to play this thing through to the President's Cup, I feel, Huss. I'm truly starting to believe that, that we're so close to the FedEx Cup. Why not complete that? I don't even want to say obligation. It, you know, you just say, I'm in the PGA Tour. I'm going to play out my season. I think a lot of those guys have made commitments to Trevor Immelman as it pertains to the President's Cup. And not to say people should be following President's Cup odds. seeing a lot of minus 350. But that never moved. Hideki, our, our answer and Louis Oosthuizen went, and I kept an eye on it. It didn't move. You bet a lot of sports. With all the speculation around Cam Smith and Hideki Matsuyama, wouldn't that minus 350? I know no one's running to bet a number like that, but it's still not big enough where it would have wouldn't move on full speculation of the Cam Smith, of the Hideki Matsuyama. So that's where I am. I think a lot of the big whales that we've been hearing, I think they're going to quote unquote, as the PGA Tour said, they don't want them to do. They're all going to have an, an opportunity to have their cake and eat it too, as they, you know, play for that FedEx Cup free roll in in a few weeks' time. That being said, when we tee off the uh, next season, uh, do you think those guys are live players or PGA Tour players? I think they're live players, Huss. I I'll do think I think they're live players. I think uh, Cam Smith and what that $100 million rumor and his five years of major exemptions between his players' win and his Open Championship win – I mean, for what you think of the majors, I believe they might draw a hard line, but I don't think they're going to go to court with guys that have exemptions into their tournaments. Um, yeah, and live, you know, a lot of faults and a lot of low-hanging fruit jokes that have been easy to make about them, Huss. I think next year, like a, like, like a lot of the little things that I, they've clearly not done properly, I think they're going to execute a little bit better. I still think the biggest fault is how, you know, Bryson DeChambeau is really the only player that stood in front of those microphones and said, I'm building like a youth center in Dallas. I'm building a youth center in California. I am giving the American Kidney Society, who I believe saved my dad's life, one of the biggest checks they've ever had. How do you like argue with that? Like, who cares where the money's coming from? <laughs> you know, with all the inept government action we see in, in uh, you know, across in America, North America, like, you can put more money into your community than your governments seem to be able to. <laughs> Brooks Kepka sits up there like a doofus. No, no insult to him, although I guess it seems like one. <laughs> but all he's got to say is, like, me and my wife, we do incredible work for kids and young girls and self-esteem. And it's an epidemic in the suicide, young suicide aspect in America. And my wife and I work hard and like, we're going to take this money from this source that you might not like, but we're going to put it right into like my backyard. So you might not like where the source of the money is, but I'm going to take a lot of that money. and I'm going to make people around me better. Like, I think they've just been, to, if more players just copied that Bryson DeChambeau press conference alley, 
feel like a lot of this wouldn't be nearly as bad in my opinion. No, I think you're uh, you're right. And there's still an opportunity for some of these guys to maybe come back. But as far as golf goes, I had to laugh. First of all, your line about Pat Perez. <laughs> yeah. I mean, crack me up because, hey, he got the bag early. And maybe that was a key thing to go in because I think it's safe to say that if Greg Norman had a $2 billion float to get this thing going, I mean, you look at what they spent on Phil and Bryson, what it would take to get Hideki and Cam Smith. That's pretty much drying up, not to mention they're getting towards that number of 48 guys. And some of the Pat Perez's of the world are going to be on the outside looking in at some point. And it sounds like we could have relegation at the end of next season. Yeah, so we'll see how all that plays out. But I wouldn't be shocked one bit if Pat Perez is like the most highly paid greeter in the world of golf <laughs> like literally standing at the ticket gate shaking hands or the guy that does the introductions on the first tee like they're gonna put these guys to work somehow huss uh even if they don't aren't good enough for the magic 48 as this thing maybe grows and they sort of find their sea legs but like a lot of things in life it's not about what you know it's who you know and Dustin Johnson wanted a buddy and he looked for some low hanging fruit to sort of uh, bring along for the ride. But yeah, one of the more obnoxious aspects of live is that team thing. And then you see Pat Perez shooting 80 and he's on the party plane. Like it feels a lot different than your guy on the jets. Like who's over three or sorry, you know, a minus three on the night, but the boys want five, three and there's still high fives all around the locker room. No, it doesn't. It's not really um, um, that, but yeah, we will, we'll see. And I'll say people point me out as anti-live us. We've been doing, making fun of the PGA guys like me and you, we've been making fun of the PGA for seven years. Like every time we get together, there's a joke about the field or the coverage or this or equal opportunity or something they could do better. So I'm going to make fun of live too, but at the heart of it, here's my question to you. Has the FedEx Cup resonated with the sports audience? And for the most part, people would probably say no. Golf fans like traditional golf courses with trophies they know and past champions that they kind of know. And does Liv just not feel like a year-long like FedEx Cup? Like golf fans don't care about cash free rolls. As much as it's part of it in every sport, it's just weird. So I don't know. I fully expect them to get a TV deal. And I think they're going to get Charles Barkley. And that changes everything. Cause that's like an arrow that live is just not here to disrupt us in our golf universe. <laughs> they're coming for like the sport that people care about as much as anything that isn't football. And the way that's brought to us on, on TV. Um, Yes, Charles said 60 mil and he's good to go. He's making about 20. They need to triple it. And uh, he said that to Dan Patrick was pretty open about that. And that would be one of the biggest stories in sports media in a long, long time. Uh, Jeff Feinberg's with us. Give him a follow on Twitter at GFeinberg17. We'll hit those odds when we get to our Kubat lines before we're done. That being said, Jeff, we're coming up to August long weekend. Training camps are open. And the NFL season is just around the corner. I can see the twinkle in your eye. The everyone, Everyone's full of optimism right now. Uh, listen, obviously, Chiefs, Chargers, we'll be talking about that all year long. What are the most uh, interesting 
storylines around the league and maybe start off with Julio Jones going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for what might be the oldest quarterback receiver combo in NFL history by the time things get going. All you need to know about this Julio Jones signing is what didn't happen in Indianapolis Hustler. The Indianapolis Colts with cap room, with a young receiving room, with his old quarterback, apparently didn't even reach out. I think that is almost like so much writing on the wall. We're all so excited. You know, Julio, just a dominant player, a dominant fantasy player. The name still rolls off the tongue so easily. I don't know. I'm borderline afterthought. Like people, the Russell Gage crowd should be annoyed because I think that is a just to take away those snaps. I don't really understand it, but Brady, I think, could still just be like, let's hoard them. And and that's what they're they're doing. So good for them. Um, uh, My favorite thing all offseason has been the New York Jets. I think the New York Jets are actually going to be a more entertaining team. And obviously the best story of the entire offseason is this business with uh with this business with Zach Wilson. Uh allegedly, like when his girlfriend slammed him saying that he hooked up with his mom's friend, I don't think she had any idea how this was gonna backfire on her. Guys on his team, CJ Uzoma showing up at camp wearing a Zach Wilson time person of the year <laughs> shirt right now. And it seemed like he's there. And our old buddy Chris Streveler just signing there as well. It'll be interesting to see if he gets in any games. But uh, what do you make of the circus around New York? And uh, is that team going to be competitive this season? They might be. They also might be a little too overhyped at the moment. And I know a a bookmaker at a prominent um, book who says the Jets are one of their biggest liabilities and win total and division and you know, people that know this guy well would say it doesn't bode well for the Jets if this guy is taking all the action on the Jets, like happily. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not smart enough to live in like that world that those people do. And I will say before the whole breakup and Instagram and Cougar thing happened, they were already getting hype. Like we were getting excited about the Jets. And as it pertains to Zach Wilson, Huss, like you put on there are ceiling plays on tape. Like there are insane ceiling plays on tape that like stupid things and and bad mistakes happen to him last year. There's no doubt inexcusable things, but you look at the good end of the tape and you're like, Oh my God. Like dare I say like Mahomesian type plays now, not consistency, but there were plays on the, on the highlight reel of Zach Wilson that I swear I don't even think like Herbert could do, but like Mahomes could do uh, I, like that sort of thing. So I'm all in on, on the jets being good. And I think they have the right quarterback because if you don't have those sort of ceiling plays on tape, then you got nothing. Like you've got, you've got Tua. Um, you know, no disrespect, I guess, in that regard. So I'm, I am bullish on the jets. I'm happy. I can be bullish on them here because you know, on my own uh, at home, I'm going to have to be pumping the brakes. Anytime I'm dealing with Tim, it's 
not going to work for me to be like fawning over them. But like a lot of football fans, there's reason for for optimism, and I'm I'm one of those. Well, at least they're not paying two hundred thirty million dollars for a guy that they got to put has to study four hours a week into his contract. And I think everyone knows that I'm talking about Kyler Murray. What is up with that? Feinberg, thanks for doing this. Uh, enjoy everything this week. Uh, fill people in on where they can find you and all your content, especially heading into NFL season with Pat and Tim. Yeah, so I do the show uh, Mondays in, in golf with Pat, and I have my odds checker videos with my picks up this week, Huss, and uh, just on the way out, I'll say, like, I am PGA, I was uncommitted on. Liv, I'm all in on Bryson this week. 10 to 1 or above, like, I'm telling you, all in on Bryson. 7,500 yards off a of T10 at the Open. Bryson, Bryson, Bryson. Nice. I'll roll with you on that one. Thanks for doing this, dude. Let's catch up soon. All the best, boys. Take care. There's Jeff Feinberg at G Feinberg 17. Give him a follow. All right. We're going to get Remus back in here. Hey, uh, folks, uh, big thanks to our friends at Canadian club for you. Valor FC fans tomorrow. I just got a text. We've got a loge to give away for the game coming up this week and we'll have some tickets as well. So we will do a nice soccer giveaway on the program tomorrow. Courtesy of our friends of Canadian club, of course, Canadian club available. Anytime you go to IG field for Valor FC or, of course, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Try the great taste of the new drink of the summer, the Canadian Club and Ginger Ale, ready-to-drink cocktail. You can pick up a six-pack at your beer store or your local liquor mart along with other the all the other great Canadian Club and Beam Suntory products. Uh, great day for a little Nick and Nicky DQ, although we got a little bit of rain outside, but uh, it's going to be getting a bit nicer later on. Of course, heading into that long weekend, got to make it a blizzard time. And if you're going to get a blizzard, do it at one of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. They've been such great supporters of us at Winnipeg Sports Talk since day one. Four locations in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And by the way, the three Winnipeg locations also available on all your favorite delivery apps. And hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. If you do want to get locked in with a, a custom-made cake, to pick up quick and easy at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. All right, we will get to our horse picks for Assiniboia Downs tonight in just a minute, but let's get to the cool bet lines and bring Michael Remus in here. And listen, Feinberg just mentioned it. I mean, I've kind of spent most of my time talking about PGA, and we hit that on the lock shop yesterday. But Kubet does have the odds for the Live Golf Invitational at Bedminster. And as he mentioned, DJ is the favorite at 5-1. to one, And there's Bryson DeChambeau at 10-1. to one. I think I may have to ride with Feinberg on that one. Louis Oosthuizen, 11. Answer and Gooch at 12-1. to one, And the bad guy, Patrick Reed, there at 16-1. to one. And a quick update on the CFL lines heading into the weekend. The uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats are still 2.5-point favorites over the Montreal Alouettes in the Thursday night game. BC, one-and-a-half-point favorites over Saskatchewan. I love BC in this game, especially considering the reports that, that Cody Fajardo still dealing with an MCL. I wouldn't be surprised if they just kept him out of this game, to be honest. I might be smart, although it is such a huge game if they do want to make up some ground on a team that they're chasing in the West. The Bombers remain a one-point favorite over the Calgary Stampeders for Saturday night's game. The money line in that game is minus 119 and the Calgary Stampeders minus 102 on the money line. In the final game, this one has not moved a lick since it opened on Monday. Argos 
five and a half point favorites against Paul Lapalise's Ottawa Red Blacks in Sunday's game, a four o'clock start from Toronto. All games, of course, on TSN. And I know our pal Dustin Nielsen's going to be calling both the Lions and Riders on Friday, and then he'll be heading to Cowtown for the big tilt between the Bombers and Stampeders on Saturday night. Uh, all right, horse pick time. Michael Remus, how did you do last night in your uh, in your selections? Uh, over. Over. I had I, a. Yeah, I had two you miracle just, wins. You just want to brag about how well you did. You're like, how I did do. you? How did you do? I you do. go first. Well, you know, I gave you I gave you the props yesterday when you were the big winner, and today, yesterday, I, I won the race. It was the closest race I've ever seen. That long shot I picked, the longest odds in, in race number one, came back to win by literally like a couple millimeters. It was so close, and he was coming from behind that Kirk thought that the other horse had won. They went to the tape. No, it was, in fact, uh, the uh, the horse that I had. And then popped uh, race number seven as well. So nice bookends on it. Um, do you have your picks ready? Do you want to fire away on yours? I have, my, I have my picks ready to go. Don't forget, folks, you can bet at hpibet.com with mm-hmm. us and watch the races on AS Downs, uh, AS Downs uh, YouTube channel or better yet, head on out for a great night of live racing. And tomorrow's the big press conference for the Manitoba Derby coming up on Monday of the long weekend. Uh, where are you going, Reem? Okay, race two. 2-3 two, Quinella. Wits 10-10. Blame it on the brew. Great name. Race three. Horse three. Truly and terrific to win. These are all $5 bets. Race the you sprinkled around. You had like two $2 bets. I was like, ah, oh, these are crap bets on long shots. They're not gonna win. You won both of them. Yeah, forty-eight bucks. <laughs> Thank you very much. So that was good for you. Uh, race five, one, two, Quinella Fox appeal. That's the horse that won our race the other week. And um, two, arouse and go. And race seven, I am picking really slow to win for five bucks. Really slow won a couple weeks ago for me. Yes, really slow. I think I'm on really slow as well. I'm skipping race number one. It's a tight one. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, with what part of your Quinella so we can both win. Wits, 10-10. You know me. I always love the wit horses. Uh, race number three, we're going to go with the Triactor Box, the $6 bet. 2-3-7, Fat and Bitter, Truly and Terrific, and Catalina Dreamin'. Uh, moving on to race four, we're going to go with a 4-6 Quinella, that's Yodeler's Way and Called You Tomorrow. Uh, we're going to do another Quinella, actually, for race number five. Um, going with the favorite and a bit more of a long shot, Fox Appeal. You mentioned it, the winner of our race. And we're going to put Fox Appeal in with Don't Get Smart on the Quinella. And then we're going to drop another triactor box for race number six. Uh, we've got Crowned Royal, Livery Man, and a new coming horse, I'm a sucker for the Wit horses, Wit America has yet to race at AS Downs, was a 20 to 1 morning line, the longest shot in the field. I don't care, I'm throwing it in. And then uh, final sprinkle in race number 7 on a 1-4 Quinella, Uncle Mo's cat, and Remus's guy, really slow. Again, hpibet.com <laughs> if you want to <laughs> get an account. And uh, bet along with us yeah. and uh, check out the races on AS Downs. The guys do a great, great job. Yeah, bet on really slow. That's a winner right there. It did <laughs> win for me uh, previously. Um, 
He's got three wins apparently in, in this year. How is it 12 to 1? What's going on here? You know what? And people are freaked out by his name. I think so. <laughs> Must, <laughs> like, I'm not I'm not betting on a horse name really slow. We identified the advantage and we'll keep on taking it. So uh, hopefully let's make it happen again. Yeah. There you go. Hey, a couple of things before we go. Um, John Klingberg, we talked about him earlier in the show. Why hasn't he signed? Well, he's pissed off to us. Fired his agent. Got a new one. Frank Cervalli reporting that. Yeah, so I wonder if we have some Klingberg That's news. not a good sign in the middle of your big summer of free agency. No. If you're firing so, your agent in the middle of the summer, uh, three weeks after free agency opens. Holy smokes. So John Klingberg has fired his long, or par, sorry, parted ways. With his, yes. Parted ways. Didn't fire him. They parted ways. Longtime agent, Peter Wallen. He's now with the, one of the big guys, Newport sports management so maybe they can get him a deal i guess he would just take a one year with someone now and try to try again next year i think the money money's dried up us there's not a lot of money out there it'll be a tough decision for him i mean the bottom line is if he takes a longer term deal uh it's not going to be with what he expected and um, no but at the same time if he goes signs a one-year deal and has a mediocre season Maybe you're leaving quite a bit on the table. Well, his new representatives at Newport Sports Management have quite a bit. It seems like when guys didn't, when Shifley fired his agent, didn't he go to Newport? Mm, How about, I know Roslovic fired his like longtime agent and went to one of the big, he went to Claude Lemieux, didn't he? Did Shifley fire his agent? Yeah, Shifley fired his agent a couple years ago. He's with Newport. Newport. He's with Newport. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll see whether they can uh, they can handle it. And uh, I think what Ryan Donato signing in uh, Seattle for uh, one Seattle. two, yeah. Uh, he Thanks to Seattle. Insider Bailey Weave in the chat for breaking that news, at least to me, while uh, while we were on the air. Yeah, it's hard to keep track. We did have one other signing we haven't touched on: Chris Strebler signing with the New York Jets. Strevolution so, going to the, the Gotham, riding shotgun with uh, with Time Person of the Year Zach, Zach. Wilson. Well, we talked about him, you know, maybe signing with the Bombers to run the ball or do two quarterback sets. We're not going to see that yet, but we can still dream about him wearing the fur coat in Winnipeg at some point. So that's the Strevler. No doubt about it. All right, gang. Anyways, great show. Thanks to everyone for uh, jumping on with us today. Uh, Tomorrow, looking forward to it. We'll uh, get the thoughts on the Jets and Pierre-Luc Dubois' situation with none other than our guy Brandon Rewicki. Um, we'll also speak with Patty Newfeld of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who's going to join us to look ahead to the big game on uh, Saturday night, as well as talk about the 7-0 start for his Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And um, I'd imagine a little more fallout from the Hockey Canada hearings in Ottawa as well. Um, thanks to DT, Derek Taylor for joining us, Jeff Hamilton as always, and of course my guy Jeff Feinberg. Don't miss it tomorrow with another packed show and your chance to win a loge for the Valor FC game on the weekend. Make sure to join us tomorrow, folks. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to all the sponsors for making this show happen each and every day. Have a great night, and we'll see you tomorrow, 1 o'clock, live on YouTube, right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.